0: I'm Ezra Cooperstein, president of Rooster Teeth. Welcome to the Bungalow Episode 2. I guess we can now say welcome back. Uh, we're officially a show. Um, you have two episodes, that's a show. That's th- the law.
1: One thing I've been thinking a lot about is That's con- internet content law. Two episodes, show, and then by the third one, you're kind of you're you're done. Right?
2: Longest running bungalow-related podcast in this world. <laughs> Already. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> well, let me let me ask you a question. One thing I've been thinking a lot about. Who can cancel this show? Only God, I think.
1: <laughs> what is, what's, who was it that said, was it Bernie said, uh, you can't get canceled on
0: the internet? Yeah. yeah. But just to think about it, you, me.
3: I would,
1: yeah, we're both in it, yeah. so I'm not going to cancel it. I'm definitely not You're gonna not going to cancel it. it. Yeah. So you're uh, right, it's basically so God. Nick, are you going to cancel it? Nick's doing the recording right now. He's shaking his head. He's He feels good about it so far.
0: Uh, I'm Matt Hullum, CEO, by the way. I was about to ask you that we question. Should, uh, well, well, I saved you the trouble. The Bungalow is a show about the business of Rooster Teeth. On each episode, we talk about a different component of the Rooster Teeth business. We bring in guests from within the company to help us go deep and better understand how we operate and make decisions. We also call on you, our intrepid community, to help shape this conversation by posing questions that we weave into the fabric of the show. You guys have once again brought some great questions, so we'll be highlighting those throughout our show today.
1: You know, it would be bad if we mixed up our questions on this show. And box of issues from always open.
3: <laughs> That's a very
1: different show That would now. be that would be bad. I don't know how, how that would go. Maybe somebody could write a bit for that, and we'll insert it later.
0: I love that. That's a great idea.
2: My my girlfriend can't achieve orgasm, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what to do about it.
1: Well, we have a product for that. This is the e-commerce
0: edition of the bungalow. We got a new bobblehead. Let me tell you about the moon ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Too much information. Let's move on. Speaking of the bungalow, Matt, how do you think the first episode went?
1: Well, I thought you were great and everybody else was there. No, uh, I thought it went went really well. You know, it was um, I I had a little catching up to do because I found out later you had a script. I didn't have a script.
0: I didn't see a script. I was trying to keep you from doing any work. That was my goal well, I appreciate that. I don't feel like I did any work at all, <laughs> and I didn't. Well, you I got, was, you've actually done 15 years of work, so, th- so I, I feel I, like I'm playing a little catch-up here. Have a day off. Exactly.
1: I, I am glad it worked out, and I was confused about the show originally because uh, when you told me it was going to be called The Bungalow, I thought you said it was called The Bunghole. So I don't want to go in, you know deep on a lot of deep subjects deep in The Bunghole, so I'm glad it turned into The Bungalow. Keep it clean here, bud. Keep it clean. Sorry, sorry. This is a business podcast. I was saving
2: that joke, and it didn't (laughs) land at all. No one in the room laughed. Patented Hullum Humor Uh, carried us for 15 years. That's
1: right. Dad jokes are us. I I really enjoyed that discussion, though. I thought it was really good, and we got to talk about a lot of interesting things, and I thought the the questions we got leading into it and also the comments that we got after the show were really fun and interesting. And I'm really excited about today's topic as well because- We've gone through so many changes over the years uh, in this particular
0: line of business for us. So, what is today's topic? It is merchandise, uh, e-commerce. Really, it is the business of selling products. Store.roosterteeth.com for a quick plug. You know, I think it's uh, it it goes by a lot of different names. It does, um, yep. But uh, it is a core part of the Rooster Teeth business. Last time I looked, merchandise represented about twenty percent of the total revenue pie for the company. Wow, Matt. Let me ask you a question.
2: i uh, uh, am Jeff Ramsey, by the way. We haven't—we're going to We're gonna get to that. We're going to get to that in a but second. I, but I, have, I have a question uh, that's germane to that. Germane. Uh, would you? <laughs> I start with Bunkhole, and you start with Germane. Sorry. Listen, <laughs> i am i am i My job is to be performatively stupid. Uh, right. My, my Twenty-four better. hours a day, so I relish the opportunity to to not have to embarrass myself uh vocally or, or physically uh on the rare occasion has would you say that's consistent with the with the history of the company because there was a point in time when merchandise was 50 percent of our revenue I would say and the other 50 would be sponsorships
1: yeah I started to remember what the numbers were in like the first year right because mm-hmm. I felt like we started the sponsorships right at the bat that was the first thing but the I felt like the t-shirts were like we were like, "Oh God, thank you! This is going to be a, a business." Yeah. Guys, we're gonna
0: we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to. We're, the, we're jumping ahead too far. You're going a little too far. Okay, ahead. I was trying to set up that uh, e-commerce merchandise is an important part of Rooster Teeth, and thus it is the topic for the second episode of this illustrious podcast. Think about a specific property for us, Ruby. Merchandise actually makes up sixty percent of the revenue for Ruby. So, if you think about it. Merchandise is super important for our, our biggest, most expensive shows. It is the, you know, it is a huge driver of allowing us to invest in shows that most digital media companies can never make.
1: It's true. I think it's what defines us as a business, why we don't really fit into the YouTube ecosystem or we don't think of ourselves as a YouTube brand like um, a lot of our contemporaries, I guess you could say. Uh, that we've just, we've always operated with a really diversified, uh, business model revenue streams, but the merchandise in particular is something that we've always taken a lot of pride in and it's allowed us to grow our business and also re- I think reach out to our audience in a really unique way.
0: It was definitely one of the things that when we, when I was at full and we were looking at acquiring rooster teeth that I was kind of blown away with. I, I could not believe how many t-shirts you guys were selling I, and I, it, it didn't look like any company in the digital media space that I knew of. And I I still think that holds true. I think it's such a differentiator that we do merch and we do it well and we do it differently. And it helps us to build a different type of business. Yeah. And there's also just nothing more satisfying than seeing
1: somebody in the wild wearing a rooster teeth. Shirt. Oh my god!
0: I get so off on that.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was not
0: not a gross way. I just not a bobblehead. Thank you,
2: <laughs> thank you for answering the question about my girlfriend. <laughs> 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 it's good to know. I'll write that down. No,
0: it's just like when you're Gets in the airport and right. you're about to get on a flight and you see someone wearing a rooster t-shirt. Isn't that just like the best feeling? That's great. I mean, I'm not not in a no
1: 100. percent It really is totally great. I mean, I I remember the first time I saw. One of our shirts in the mall specifically, mm-hmm. and that there were a group of, of kids in the mall, like just running around doing stuff that you do. And one of them was wearing the uh, the camping shirt, you know, which is that was probably like season three shirt. So yep. it was later, and of course we'd seen him in the while before that. But there was something just so iconic about, you know, that like I grew up with, that, with having that mall experience, you know. And I was thinking back to like what t shirts was I wearing back at that time that like signified to the world. The stuff i was interested in what was cool you know and felt like really special and um it's just it's just fun to see that
0: well let's uh let's jump into the people who are in the room today who are going to be leading our conversation about uh e-commerce and merchandising so maybe we just go around the horn Jeff, you've already sort of introduced yourself, but why don't you jump back in and tell us a little about yourself? Sure,
2: my name is Jeff Ramsey. I'm a co-founder of Rooster Teeth, and I created our merchandising business, uh, and uh, including our first four online stores I ran until we uh, grew to a point where we could turn it over to talented people.
1: He uh, <laughs> was instrumental in breaking several stores.
0: I
2: did. <laughs> <laughs> I took Yahoo <laughs> down once. <laughs> yeah,
0: Bank of America?
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. We'll we, come back we to that. We slammed one of my Bank of America. Ones. Yeah, that was yeah. good.
0: Also, you are the executive producer of Achievement Hunter. Sure. Talent on Achievement Hunter. The Weird Place coming up. Are you excited uh-huh. about that?
2: Uh Yep. Also, Hardcore and Tabletop the, and Achievement Hunter and the Let's Play family. And Hardcore the, Tabletop was so great, wasn't yeah. it? Thank you.
0: I was Where I was getting to was also the face and name of the Jeff Ramsey collection.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that, too.
0: And uh, we'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show. Chelsea,
4: hi, I'm Chelsea. Doing? Good, how are you doing, Ezra?
0: Good, thank you. Chelsea, hi. why don't you uh, tell us a little about what you do here?
4: So, I'm the community support manager for Rooster Teeth. So, basically, what I do is I'm a community manager, but I focus entirely on product and the community that surrounds that.
0: Got it. So, uh, I got a lot of questions about customer service. Are you going to help? <laughs> are you going to help us here to? to educate the audience on uh, what we've done. Yes. Okay, great. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself, Ryan?
5: Uh, Ryan Quinn, uh, VP of Consumer Products Department, and um, work with the Talented Design team, merchandising, uh, the e-com portion, and, and uh, kind of soups to nuts of what Jeff started. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no problem.
0: So, Ryan, you, most people know Jeff, most people know Matt, most people know Chelsea. You joined the company a little over a year ago. Can you tell folks about a little bit more about your background? I think it's pretty impressive.
5: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I started. Uh, first job was working with Reef Sandals, and I was working in product development. Um, so I was you told me you were a model. Well, before that, <laughs> <laughs> I got a little flabby, and they they cut me out. <laughs> so you get you get too fat for sandals. <laughs> for Model sandals. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> the thongs didn't fit right anymore, so <laughs> <laughs> can't have cankles and ma- 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 <laughs> <of> model
3: <salmon. laughs> Um
5: And so I spent a lot of time in product development. On those on those days, we were doing um, Brazil and China for for manufacturing. So I went there and kind of learned how to make products, um, costing and uh, price negotiation, how long it takes to make stuff, how to you know just basically all that goes into a quality control. Um, And then I I went, uh, underneath uh, Reef was VF, so there was Vans that was also part of the company. So then um, I cut my teeth at Vans, um, I went over there doing one of the product categories, and they had us focusing on consumer demographics, and so we kind of learned about distribution and what product was relevant, and um, during that time, the way that they focused on the consumers, we were able to double our revenue in in five years, so it was a great learning experience um, at a young age.
0: So you go from Reef to Vans to then you are go to Stan Socks. Yep. Tell us yeah. about that experience.
5: So then, um, from from there, I went to to Stan Socks and we had I ran product there. Um, we saw a huge growth. It was you know t- basically nothing when we first started. Within five years, it was valued at three fifty when I left and came to work with you guys.
0: And what got you excited about coming to work to Rooster Teeth?
5: <laughs> um, I think the the most exciting part for me was I took. It took me a while, actually. I met with all you guys multiple times coming out here, and what I didn't want to do was work for a company that didn't value products, um, consumer products, and didn't want to do something that was disruptive to the marketplace. Um, and I remember meeting- you
0: were pretty skeptical. Like you came out here, <laughs> your brother your brother runs your brother runs product engineering here. Uh-huh. You came out here a couple times. You know, you looked around. I remember you telling me like. You like, got confused when you walked in the bungalow. You're like, but where are your offices? Like, this? Like, what is this trailer? Like, in all seriousness. And then you told me that how could people want to work in offices that look like this? How could they be inspired? But then you came to RTX. Mm-hmm. And then and that was kind of like the, the turning point for you in wanting to work here, right?
5: Definitely, yeah. Um, seeing the the engagement of, of the community and just how much they loved, you know, what Rootstooth is doing and the brand's. Associated with the shows, everything, it was it was mind blowing to me. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. So um, that kind of reinforced just like the value of what was built and and how awesome. Yeah, I remember
0: that weekend but but you came up to me and you were like this huge smile on your face. You were like, I've just been posting outside the RT store, just <laughs> yeah. like watching the kids go in and out, mm-hmm. so happy. I've got like Pages and pages of notes yeah. and profiles of like how we could be doing things. And I and I, I remember you saying that. And I'm like, okay, this guy's going to come work here.
5: I actually sat behind one of the empty booths on the floor and took photos for like two hours like a super creepy person. <laughs> <laughs> has, it a, has it been a hard transition for you to go to a non-feet-based business? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's kind of funny, huh? You yeah, know what? We actually, all, no, we all have feet. No, 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 my, you know, my wife's asking about that. I, I've spent, I spent like a decade staring at people's feet. Yeah, you know? um, honestly, um, Hard but. to get
1: a foothold in the new line of work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony, yes.
0: Tony, can you tell us about? I'm glad you're here, by the way, Tony. Thank you. Um, your work is uh, is super impressive. You are our head of merchandising design. Correct. Yeah. The title, your title, the title your, changes daily. Okay. Uh, lead lead
6: designer merchandise is kind of the shortened
0: version. I kind of it. think of our world. Um, first, Ryan was a great addition to the team, but I, I also look at where we've gone and I think of it as like there's BT and there's AT. There's before Tony and there's after Tony. I, I think that the design is like stepped up in such a huge way since you've gone all in on, on merchandise design. Do you want, just give me like again the the two second background on how you came here and and what your past experiences are um, I went
6: to college at UT Austin and uh, started in 2000 so I was in college when I started with RVB staying at the dorms it was downloaded it was on all the servers on the dorms so I've been uh, an RVB fan for then from since then. Um, and then started By the way, why does
0: everyone who works here have to sell, tell that same story? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hook. It's the hook. It's, it's, it's,
2: it's, so I was pirating your, your product. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was already... And I thought, I would make products for these yeah. people I'm stealing from.
6: Uh, and then listened to the podcast all the way through. And I uh, got a job right out of college uh, doing watch design. Uh, so going from feet-based products to wrist-based products. I worked for four different watch companies for about 12 years, uh, mostly on licensed products. So I focused on Disney, Mattel, Warner Brothers, uh, big names like that. Um, I bounced around between four different watch companies and kind of, we had factories in China, so I got to go out to China. I got to go to different uh, fairs and things like that. Just kind of figuring out how to run a product design team. It was kind of me and a very, sm- very small team of uh, product developers and just kind of figuring that out. And uh, about that time, I started to uh, form a family and we, I didn't want to bounce around between watch jobs anymore the watch industry was kind of not doing so hot and uh, there was an opening here for a marketing design position which I had never done Um, and I came into that interview kinda admitting that saying I've designed product for 12 years I've never done marketing but I'm a fan of the company and I can figure it out and the the position didn't exist yet and uh, Eric was like well we'll just give it a shot see what happens and after about I think eight months in there everyone started pulling on my strings and saying you need to move over need to go to e-commerce, you need to to help us on that side, and uh, kind of that opened the door to what you guys were talking about, kind of trying to change the way that merchandise is kind of viewed at Rooster Teeth. Cool. Well, great for you guys all
0: to be here. So let's uh, start by going back. I want to start at the beginning uh and talk a little bit about the history of merchandise because it from the very start was part of the company am i, r- am I right matt
1: yeah i think there was always the idea that we were gonna sell shirts about or sell three, different about things three weeks in. yeah, yeah. It was when we had the idea and i mean jeff you were on the ground like with bernie in a much closer way at that time but i mean we had the um, the jersey shirts, I think, were the first things we put the, out, right? The
2: very first thing we put out was just the black rooster teeth shirt with oh, the right. rooster teeth logo that
1: said red versus Blue dot com. Said on red versus
2: Blue it. dot com on it. It's kind of a funny story to that, which was we we needed we knew we needed to generate revenue because we had as we became more popular and this is pre YouTube. You've heard the story before, but we had exorbitant server costs. Like we were paying ten to eleven thousand dollars a month in server fees just to host the videos and sponsors and super sponsors as we called them back then which was our $10 and our $20 sponsorship model that was the very first thing we launched and that helped a lot but the audience very quickly was asking for merchandise and so I remember on our old like phpb or phbb forum I put up a picture of a shirt and I said would you buy this black shirt that says Red versus blue on it and has the logo and in less than like five hours 1300 people said yes and I thought, oh my god, we're, we're gonna get I'm, gonna I'm gonna sell these 1,300 shirts. shirts. So I that day put in an order for like 2,000 shirts. I
0: thought you were gonna tell me that was the idea for Kickstarter. But. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then the shirts came out, and I had to build a store to sell them out of, and we did that, and uh, we sold like 150 of them. <laughs> and all and, <yeah>, right, <laughs> were well, well, you su- were you
0: surprised? First of all, were you surprised? I was heartbroken. <laughs> You're heartbroken.
2: <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with these 1850 shirts? Like we're stuck well,
1: with. Well, I mean, in those days like I mean, we didn't understand the idea of inventory and, you know, yeah. wh- how quickly things would move and and what demand looked like and you know, what interest looked like versus demand, which is what we basically saw there with 1300 people saying they were going to buy it, and only you know, 150 people were buying it. Um, Or sizing, or any of those things. It's like, it was all brand new. And the store part of it, I always found really interesting, because in 2003, you would have thought that there were better options for selling stuff online. And there were not. Like, all of the
2: stores are bad. It was really difficult. They were bad. Yeah, I went through three stores. Rooster Teeth went through three online stores in the first 18 months. And I just, I would hit a roadblock with one, We'd get up and we'd get barely running, and then there'd be some fundamental thing missing, and I'd have to jump to another one and another one. And we kept, like, I guess, iteratively improving, but it was pulling teeth, and it was really, really difficult. And those early days, I had to lean on a lot of help from Gus because he was he could code, and uh, yeah, it was those were dark days. Uh, however, there were some there were some bright spots that really helped. And they, to this day, I don't think the the chaps know this, but. I modeled all of our, all of our merchandise off of Homestar Runner, and I would go and they had a Yahoo store, and they did things like, for whatever reason, you can turn off how much you have in stock, like your list stock in the store, and they didn't do that, and so I was able, I would come into work, my day job, and we all still had day jobs, and the first thing I would do is I would print out, it was like 60 pages, but it wasn't our paper or ink, so it didn't matter. I would print out a 60 pages of their entire store, and then I would compare it to the store from 24 hours ago and decrement so I could figure out how much they were selling in each product type and how, uh, what styles did better. Was it like cartoony, logo-y? Because uh, you, you could see their inventory. Yeah, you could see their inventory and what they were selling. And then I could draw the line out, and I knew how much money they were making every day. I knew how much they were making, their business was making a month, and I planned a lot of Rooster Teeth's merch off of that in those early days, yeah.
0: Why do you think Rooster Teeth merch was a thing? Like out of the gate, I mean, I know that the, the RVB like took off, right? Like we've talked about that many times, like throughout the history of our podcasts, and sh- you know, people know that, right? In the history of, of Rooster Teeth, it was a, it was as close to a viral success as there was back then, as Bernie likes to say. Why was merch so quickly part of the equation? I think because we've always been an identity brand, you know. A, a,
1: Something that people identify with. Like, they see Rooster Teeth and they want to be part of the community and they want to say that this is something that represents me, you know? And when you get clothes and you put them on your body, I mean, you're walking around telling the entire world, this is what I think about myself. This is who I want to be and who I am and who I associate with and everything else. So it's like, it's super powerful.
0: And RVB specifically said something about who you were.
1: I think think RVB, but Rooster Teeth as well, like, because... The thing that was very exciting about Red versus Blue in the early days, like one, the content was great and people loved it and they, there was no other place you could get content like that. But then there was also like a really fun early adopter thing mm-hmm. of like we are the first people, I mean, and when I say we, I mean the community and the audience are like the first people to ever experience content in this way, to find it online. Like that feeling of finding this-
0: in any band that no one knows about.
2: Yeah, and all, but more than that, almost yeah. like a culture because mm-hmm. online culture was just co- becoming a thing, and we were uh, right place, right time, kind of on the forefront of it. And so people were starting to realize they were spending so many hours a day on a computer playing video games or browsing e insights or whatever they were doing way back then in two thousand three, and uh, and people were finally starting to realize that they were part of something larger, and that they were they were the the internet was becoming a community, and what, so
0: yeah, when. Did you know that merch was going to be a consistent part of the revenue mix of the company?
1: I mean, it felt like immediately. Yeah. Like right, right away. I mean, I think probably even before we started selling the shirts, it, just, it felt natural. Maybe because of the Homestar Runner thing. And there were a few other smaller groups that had done similar things. And I, I remember seeing Homestar Runner shirts also in the yeah. wild uh, probably before we even started and thinking like, oh, that is cool.
2: There was a, I think there was a, a, another kind of foundational moment was very early on that first year, Gus and I got invited to go to a convention yeah. as talent. And it was like us and some of the people from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Ron Perlman was drunk off his ass there and a few other people. And, uh, and Gus and I brought a few shirts to give away. And we did a panel. It was the first panel Rich Deeth had ever done. We had no idea what we were going to talk about. 200 people crammed into a room that was supposed to hold about 100. And at the end... I said, uh, or Gus, where I said, "Hey, we got a suitcase with some shirts in it. If y'all want any, and we meant give them away." And the people just started pulling out money, and we stood there in the in the like the stairwell, and sold shirts out of Gus's suitcase, and they L- were gone in four minutes,
1: literally out of a suitcase,
2: like traveling, literally out of money. Gus's suitcase. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it was like all I have left is small, and they're like, "I don't care. I'll take it. I just want the shirt. I don't care what size it is." And that was a, a huge light bulb moment for us. we realized that the that there was a more than a passing demand for these things
0: so in the early days you were focused on the store jeff yeah store
2: and and uh and events
0: what was it like i mean how did you you just kind of do everything
2: yeah my spare bedroom was our was our warehouse until we outgrew my spare bedroom then my garage and my spare bedroom were our warehouse and in those days we had the first year we had we got up to 12 shirts and then i think we had mouse pads and maybe a beanie. And those were like the first 14 items in addition to the season one DVD. And so our online store had 14 or 15 items, which uh, we all shipped out of out of my house. And what we would do is we'd literally get off work at five o'clock and go home and stuff envelopes until it was time to go to Bernie's house to make Red versus Blue. And so I would stuff envelopes, Gus and I or whoever would stuff envelopes from five or 6 p.m. until eight or nine, and then go to Bernie's, make Red versus Blue, come home, and then we would have like weekend events where we would all go to Bernie's house, and we would all sit around in the living room and stuff envelopes together. And Matt and Anna would come down and help out. And because you were still living in Los Angeles mm-hmm. at the time yeah. for a little bit, so
0: you'd fly into stuff envelopes.
2: Yeah,
1: and I mean, the first thanks—I remember that first Thanksgiving after the DVD came out—too was like a week of just we Thanksgiving dinner, but it was like. Everybody's stuffing
2: envelopes every day. It was crazy. Those days, too, because we got to a point by, it was a little after Thanksgiving, where we would stuff envelopes for, you know, be f- three or four of us stuffing envelopes literally for four hours a night. And I would go to bed and I would wake up and I'd be further, we'd be further behind <laughs> yeah. than where we left it. Yeah. And we just couldn't keep up with the demand. And it was like, it was such an awesome problem to have. But trying to, I remember like that we were making decisions like, do we make an episode of Red versus Blue this week or do we try to catch up on merch because we can't do both.
0: Who was in charge of licking the stamps? <laughs> we, I feel like we, it's like a George Costanza. We got right.
2: self adhesive stamps. We got Edna Ferber's, and we used stamp Oh, Edna Ferber! Oh
0: my god! So we printed out stamps.
2: The funnier thing about those days is we didn't understand that there were loading docks, so we would fill up Bernie's truck Wait, lo- loading do- like loading yeah. docks. Pa- Sorry. So we would fill up like we'd get like four thousand packages and just Manila envelopes. Because
0: let, let me get this straight: the first run, I remember the first run of. DVDs was ten thousand, right? Ten thousand,
1: yes. and they were delivered to Jeff's house. Yep, and the pallet wouldn't fit in your garage. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it was
0: sitting out in your driveway, right? Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Yeah, for a while.
6: Was ten thousand dictated by anything? Where did you get uh,
2: that from? I remember. That, I, I, I think it was, it was the, it was, That was the minimum we could do okay. for the price break. For the price break, we needed, and we had honestly sold through most of them at that point. I think in, yeah, in yeah. sponsorships. Yeah. Uh, I think we
1: ordered like. We ordered another ten thousand, like the day we got the ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, really,
2: really quickly after. Um, but yeah, so then we would we would just load our cars up with Manila envelopes, and we would go to post office, office boxes and fill them up, and then we couldn't stuff any more in. Can you imagine if you were if box.
0: you were the uh, the mailman Whoa. who kept on fo- showing up to those mailboxes? Well, and like who
3: are those kids? <laughs>
2: so tell me the, the Sixth Street. All right, one. so then we discovered that the downtown Sixth Street post office they had a shoot that seemed limitless. Like, you would drop a package in, and you would hear it hit the ground, like, 20 feet below, and we're like, we could fill this up. Yeah. So that's where we would go. We would go. And then one day, a dude came running around. He came running around the side, come up at us with a post office uniform, I'm yelling at us, and we freaked out, got in, got in the car and left. And we're like, all right, we can't hit that one for a while. Because we thought using the post office for its
3: intended.
2: duty, intended purpose, was somehow, <laughs> we were somehow breaking the rules. And, uh... And so the next time we like we we so we went to some other post offices and eventually we had to go back to that one because it was it had the most capacity. And uh the guy came running around again and he caught us and he goes, What are you doing? And we're like, uh we're sorry, we're really sorry, we'll go somewhere else. And he's like, No, you idiots, why are you doing it this way? This is so stupid. And I'm like, what way should we do? And he get, and he goes, There's a loading dock. Everybody in the world knows there's a loading dock. Drive around back and just hand us the boxes. You're wasting your time and our time. This is stupid. You're stupid. And, <laughs> And he was right. We were stupid.
0: <laughs> I heard there's another story too that I think you or Bernie might have told me about buying stamps.
2: We bought out all the stamps in Austin and viewed it. Yeah. And they had a woman named Edna Ferber. She was on a particular it on the, on the, on the, Was this a three cent stamp? Something like that. It was a denomination we needed. Yeah. But we would literally go and we would go to the post office and we would say, We want all your stamps. And then they would just sell us all their stamps. And one time in particular, we went there and we said, we want all your stamps. And uh, I think this is the story you're referring to. It was Bernie and I, I believe. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, how many do you want? And he goes, all of them. And he goes, buddy, we've got like $1,400 worth of stamps here. And Bernie goes, we'll take it. And he goes, well, I can't sell you $1,400 worth of stamps. And Bernie goes, why not? I want to buy them. You sell them. That's, that's how this tr- it's transactional, this relationship. And he goes, yeah, but what if somebody comes in after you and wants stamps? And Bernie goes, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that wants stamps. I'm the guy that's coming in after me. If you sell me eight hundred dollars worth of stamps, I'm gonna walk out in the parking lot. I'm gonna come back in and buy the other six hundred (laughs) dollars worth. And we had to convince the guy to sell us all their stamps because they didn't want to limit the opportunity for other customers. I guess.
1: How much Tony's got it up? How much? How much is it? You can buy a
6: a sheet of twenty stamps
0: on eBay for twenty
2: three ninety five. Wow. There you go. Should have held on to them. Yeah, they've appreciated in value.
0: So the early days. Merch is, is happening. You got fourteen SKUs. It's
2: burying us,
0: because you guys are doing everything. Everything. When does it change? Like for the first number of years, does it feel like it's kind of...
1: Well, we had. I mean, we went through several different vendors, but they're all all local vendors, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and then we. What, I guess we didn't find uh, our fulfillment center until like year. Four, year the three?
2: well, we found.
1: Oh no, Oh, oh we um, found our heard, first heard, fulfillment
2: right. center. That was in year two. That was in year two. It was not yeah. too. It was after our first Christmas. Yes, we got just that's demolished right. our right. first Christmas, and we very quickly found this fof- local fulfillment uh, house. They were great people, but we outgrew them very quickly.
1: Yeah, they were not set up as like a consumer products fulfillment. It was kind of like they were doing, at random, kind of like. I don't, they did computers and they did other weird... They did,
3: like, medical supplies Medical or supplies, things yeah. that didn't
1: have a high turn, like not high volume. So it was, like, not a good fit for either one of us. And then... But they were very nice. And they... They were like family. They were. They were great. Uh, yeah. And then we fired them. <laughs>
2: do, you remember, do you remember... Just like family. <laughs> do you remember before we fired them, we tried... This is another great story from Blast in the past. We went to fire them. Yeah. We all, like, loaded oh, up God. and we just tried to go to oh, fire them. Oh, and they, we got there because we called the meeting and they're like, we're so glad you're here because we wanted to present this to you. And they gave us a plaque with our hundred thousandth order. And they had like a big party for us. And so we were like, well, I guess we don't fire them today. Yeah. <laughs> we think Bernie still has that plaque somewhere. or you do. It's, in the, it it's in the office somewhere. Yeah. yeah.
0: Speaking of other vendors, I heard there's a story about an early printer who would do their test runs of shirts and then give them away to homeless people. Jeff, is that, uh, that's
2: true. That's is a, that true. It's Yeah. They would run test shirts, and so you would see, they would see, like, this is when we were doing, like, the Jersey shirts, so there would be, like, a Sarge logo next to Caboose's name on a blue shirt, and I would just see homeless people, like, asking for change at the side of the interstate with, like, misprints of our shirts on all the time, which was just hilarious to me. Yeah. You'd see, like, a red Caboose shirt, and you'd be like, what the hell is that?
1: That's what happens to you when you're an RVB fan. It
0: it all goes downhill. Yeah. Yeah, are you sure those were test prints? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Others are just really motivated homeless fans that were making their own merchandise. That too, great DIY.
0: So obviously, for the first number of years, everything was connected to RVB. When when did you guys start to? And one one thing I did want to touch on is the the early designs of the shirt are so iconic. Like, how did you guys decide what to put on shirts? And you know, it wasn't you're not just like a slap a Star Wars logo kind of guys. Like, how did you decide what should go on a shirt? And like, how how did I think that that really informed. This whole thing was you guys just were thinking differently about about the T-shirt business.
1: Well, there was in much like the machinima, you know, work with what you have and there's things that you can't do. There's things that you can't write to. There were things we couldn't do in the early days. Like we didn't have permission from Microsoft in the early days to use any of their characters or their, you know, images of the characters on uh, consumer products. We had permission to do the videos and sell the DVDs and all that stuff, but we hadn't worked out anything else because was more of a complicated like consumer mm-hmm. products licensing thing, that we just didn't we didn't know how to do that and we didn't have that kind of relationship, you know. So all of our stuff was we knew it had to be from the show. We had our own logo that was an image we could use, and then we had done the uh, the jersey shirts, which were basically the names of the characters and a, a number. Um, uh, and then we're like, well, the other thing that we have as an asset is our humor, and people seem to like the jokes. So when people would latch onto a joke, you know, we would just say, oh, they like that joke, they like that quote, sounds funny, and I think that would work on a T-shirt. Not every joke does, but, like, I think a couple of the early ones that I made were um, I Like Me.
2: I Like Me, Gay Robot, chupa, gay robot chupa Thingy. Chupa thingy. Uh, it's Not pinkish It's Red was a huge seller yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah.
1: And they were all just things that, like, the community had latched onto um, and were saying to each other. And, like, it was, they were always conversation starters, too. Even people mm-hmm. who didn't know anything about Red versus Blue, you wear I Like Me or Chupa Thingy or something like that. You know, just out in the world, people were going to go, like, I like you, too. Or, you know, and you'd start something, and you're like, they ask, what does Chupa Thingy mean?
2: Yeah. We actually, <laughs> the very first Comic-Con we did, we had uh, great success because we our booth was next to a booth for gay yes. comic books, I want yep. to say. Yep. Like gay men's comics. And we sold so many gay robot and it's not pink, it's lightest red shirts to their fan base. And they had no clue who we were. They just loved the quotes. It was great. And that was a kind of another light bulb moment for us too. We're like, we don't have to sell just our just our audience. Our audience yeah. yeah.
1: And it was, it really opened things. I and mean, then I think
2: we actually sold, did we sell both those shirts at Hot Topic as well, right? We did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah we had, we sold at Hot Topic for
0: about a year. I heard that, um, <clears throat> that Comic Con was also iconic. Because Matt, you were walking down one of the aisles and you came across someone bootlegging mer- merchandise. What happened
2: there?
3: He's still mad. I just saw his face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, remember what, I remember what happened. I'm gonna see if he tells the real story.
1: Okay. Well, I, maybe I don't, I don't know if I even remember what the real story is now. I it was, I was probably mad out of embarrassment because I was mad. I was. I, I felt like w- that we've been taken advantage of. Yes, one, but the the lead up to so. The, I'll start from the, the lead up to the story is we were signing autographs of DVDs the whole time. And we would often in the early days get um, not bootleg uh, CDs, but homemade ones, right? Because people would download and they would burn them onto CDs and those become mementos. You know, you share them with friends and then people would bring us those to sign. And we were always like, that's totally cool. Like we're, we love signing stuff like that. that that's, that's great. But then we started seeing a lot of, 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 DVDs that just looked really bad. Like they looked like a crappy, you know, knockoff. And I was at first, I was like, Oh, did you make this at home? Like with home printer or something? And they were like, No, I bought it. I was like, I I don't, yeah, I don't think so. This looks, this doesn't look new. It's like, No, I bought it from you. It's like, You didn't buy it from us. It was like, No, it did. And I I like actually got in a couple arguments with people, with fans. And I was like, Which is, you know, looking back on it, it, feels like that's the part that's embarrassing, right? And and, but then eventually I figured out there was another booth at Comic-Con that was just a few aisles down from us that was selling knockoff red versus blue DVDs. And we'd heard a lot of stories of like knockoff red versus blue DVDs from like Iraq and Afghanistan Mm -hmm. uh, because there's like a whole bootleg industry there, uh, which is fine for the for the military that's over there, which is fine. You know, it's totally different thing. But to have it being sold bootleg. Right down the aisle from us, and to have to autograph those copies, and to have to autograph those copies because they don't know. I mean, they, like the the fans who bought those thought they were buying something legitimate, you know. And that's like you felt like taking. Not only were we taken advantage of, but
2: they were taken advantage of. Do you remember what we did though? We gave everybody who showed up with a bootleg DVD a real DVD. Yes. Yeah.
3: And
1: I
2: set fire to the. What to happened the other was booth. Matt had some fan walk him over to wear that boot so he could see it. And then he flipped the guy's table over and knocked all of his merchandise off, and grabbed the bootleg DVDs and took them. And then those people went to jail. They did. did, they, what? did. Really? Yeah, now, they did. Yeah, they did. Not because of us, but uh, they were selling. They were selling a, b- a lot of bootleg stuff at Comic Con that year. And uh, we read in the paper not too long after. It was like two days later. Yeah, like yeah. two days later that they had. Uh, they yeah, they got busted.
0: And Matt has definitely flipped more tables since then, hasn't he? <laughs> it's a move.
2: You know, yeah. you get
1: addicted to the power of
0: flipping <laughs> tables
1: and knocking things Tony, out. Tori, that
3: design sucks!
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a great moment for me because I had known Matt for three or four years. I mean, I met Matt through Bernie. We had been friends before Rooster Teeth. We had hung out in L.A. and had, had become friends. Uh, but I had never seen Matt mad before. And I remember thinking, note to self, never piss this guy off. Because you are scary.
0: Well, I want to... Well, just don't boot like the DVDs <laughs> in <laughs> what I want to flash forward and like basically cover the next 10 years of, of Rooster Teeth merchandise in as quickly as we possibly can but it's pretty crazy from those early days to you know to let's just take it to where full screen about the company like it's just a stead- steady progression like what were what was the what was the alchemy behind the continued growth of this it was because it, it really was more than just RVB it like became really just ingrained in, in everything the company did how did, how did it continue to grow and how did it sort of become embedded in the, the business of rooster teeth?
1: I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, I don't, I'm Jeff really, you know, is responsible for it, but I, I always liked consumer products and I always thought that was exciting. Yeah. And just just something that was really fun. We took a lot of pride in the craftsmanship of making these things, whether it was the DVDs and we would all pour over like what the design of it was. And, you know, um, You know each little detail in it to uh, the merch where we didn't. You know we weren't sophisticated. We didn't have the kind of skills that Tony or 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 Ryan has. uh, But we 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 really cared a lot and we really liked it. And I think that the community felt that, and it grew from that. Um, And it was always just felt like a thing that we would see other what other people were doing in the space. And I I mean anyone from like a, a small group like ours up through something like hey guys, I just went. Disney world and I saw this thing that they're selling at the Disney shop. And it's like, we could do something like that. You know, why don't we try it? Um, and we were always just trying to do new, new things and it was just, it was just always fun and exciting. You yeah. know, I think the, um, the only uh, really, the only times we ever had like arguments <laughs> were about inventory, inventory and koozies <laughs> and cu- I forgot about the <laughs> koozie shit. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, we weren't, I mean, I think we did okay with inventory, all things considered. I
2: think I did really well, considering I had a very limited budget to work with, and I was keeping six SKUs per shirt in stock, but every fight Bernie and I had for about four years was over SKUs. Was over Why the SKUs. fuck are
1: the beanies in? Yeah. Why the fuck are we out of 2X of this shirt? Yeah. <laughs> Which is really just so hard to control. We didn't have a, uh, a financial controller, you know. So it wasn't like we knew
0: how much we could spend in advance, and it was there was no demand planning at all, right? Exactly, you're just yeah. kind of yeah. like I don't know, get 200 of that one or 500 of that one, right? Jeff was doing mean, it by feel, right?
2: I was doing it by feel, and I would, and each year it got a little bit easier because I had the analytics of the previous year which to 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 work from. So I got like marginally smarter each year. But yeah, I have no professional training in any of this. You know, I was a photographer before we did all this, and or, or a tech support agent. So we were, I mean, none of us were super trained in what we were doing, so we were, it was just a lot of passion and trial and error.
1: You should tell, uh, maybe, I don't I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, oh, at some point you should tell the story about the Bank of America uh, store going down, the pro stores going down.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: the biggest days of the year for us back then were with DVD launch days. When uh-huh. the DVD came out, we would sell, uh, I don't know, 10,000 DVDs on launch day through our store, and every DVD launch day, the store would crash, and it would cause a fight between Bernie and I, and for the week leading up to a DVD launch, it would be this argument about whether we were going to be ready, and it was never us, it was always the limitation of the store, and so that's part of also why I had to keep finding new stores, because none of them could handle our, our launch days. And finally, I, I signed us up through Bank of America and through their web stores, which eventually led us to go to Yahoo, which then we had a stable platform. But uh, the Bank of America store, yeah, we had our first DVD launch through it. I had been talking to their their CSRs, and they had assured me that, that Bank of America, of all places, had the bandwidth and the infrastructure to handle uh, some fan sites DVD launch, as they thought of us. And sure enough, we took down our store and all of Bank of America's e-commerce for two days, and they had so many phone calls that I would have to call, I'd be on hold for like an hour and a half, just to get to talk to the agent, and so anytime Bernie would yell at me, I'd be like, I'm on hold, I've been on hold for 40 minutes, and then I, like, I finally got in touch with an agent one day, and I go, what the hell's going on, and he goes, ah, it's some halo thing, it's destroyed all of Bank of America, everybody's furious, just get in line, and I'm like, I'm that guy, and he's like, oh, uh, in that case, uh, hold on a second, <laughs> You just talk to my supervisor, Yeah. And they would be like, and they literally like the Make of America Supervisor would be like, can you stop sending traffic to us? Can you just stop? Can you take your try to take the store down for a couple of days? I'm like,
3: no.
0: I give you guys a lot of credit because you were literally doing everything yourselves. You were, and you you had no like credit. You had no uh, you had no outside capital, and so like it was razor thin when you were making these investments, especially probably for holidays.
1: Oh like, yeah, totally. We were saving money for the the. To uh, three months leading up to when we had to buy for the holidays. Yeah, we
2: had to save money for DVD and for holiday. The, yeah. le-
1: the DVDs was
2: the, were the worst
1: because, you know, you could you could kind of stretch out the payment terms on some of the T-shirts and like mm-hmm. you didn't have to order like a as many as you do with DVDs, but, you know, we're 70,000 DVDs. It's like, that's literally all the money we had. Yeah.
2: Those, those days we'd get a, we'd get a, it was good problems to have, but we would get a purchase order from GameStop because we were selling our DVDs through GameStop early on back when they used to still carry that kind of media. And they would send us, send in a PO out of the blue for 50,000 DVDs. And we would go, Oh shit.
0: (laughs) Oh shit. Yeah. I want to ask about some of the iconic shirts. You tell me sort of the story behind them. Ask me about my zombie plan.
1: Oh, I want to say Bernie came up with that idea, and I don't remember what er, he, it was. It, the it conversation was, was everybody has a zombie plan. It was
2: the zombie plan PSA we did. Yeah. Yeah. And then I I you made that sh- right,
1: I made that yeah. shirt, um, and it was just it, it was pretty simple. And it's like most most of those designs were like, let's be as simple as possible. One because like, we're not. Good enough designers to make something complicated, it will just screw it up. But the, hopefully, the uh, the comedy and the you know the idea of the the thing speaks for itself, and that's all you need. What now, about
0: what about it's a legitimate strategy?
1: Same era, I believe the design for that was done at one of our vendors.
2: Yeah, a lot of we did contract a lot of the early design out to the vendors, the t-shirt vendors, and those the Zombie Plan and Legitimate Strategy were also interesting in that they were some of the the earliest shirts. They were huge sellers for us. Bauchika the Caboose shirt, Zombie Plan, Legitimate Strategy, and uh, It's Not Pink were our huge sellers. And those two were our first forays into trying to do something a little more graphical and getting away from just putting text on a shirt. But we still didn't have the ability to put Master Chief on a T-shirt. Do you so. m- remember
1: our big innovation with Bauchika
2: Yeah, we put... St- glitter on that's it, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah one of our, our t-shirt
1: vendor told you hey you know what we have some glitter we put some glitter on there we're like
2: yeah yeah we'll take that yeah we splurged
0: what about people like grapes i mean that, that, thing that is that's that's john right yeah i think john made that and it was something that gavin said correct
2: yeah i think it's something no wait
1: or, or tom did tom make that i think it
2: was it was john else. or tom <laughs> no really it was in Ralph Fabulonado that office was, that, that uh, happened. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, it was. I, I I had transitioned away from the store at that point, so I don't remember specifically. But I do know that it was. It was just something Gavin said on a podcast, like some throwaway thing he said that the audience latched onto, and the audience is so fantastic about telling us what merch they want from us without realizing that they're doing it. Right. Like if somebody says something funny on a podcast or in an episode of *Reverses Blue and it, you would just go to the comments and if you saw on a page of 50 comments 30 people saying Bow you knew that was your next shirt. And that was I that think was, what happened. That was, so that
0: was kind of your product development process yeah. back then. Yeah. Yeah. 100%.
2: Yeah. That was hashtagging before there was hashtag. It was hashtagging before yeah. hashtagging. Yeah. I remember sometimes
1: like we were needing to do a run of shirts and we had like kind of expended all the ideas we had in the office. We would go to IMDb quotes page for red versus blue and just scan through it until we found
3: mm-hmm. some
1: stuff that we hadn't made yet. I was like, Oh yeah, that's a great, I forgot about this line. Cause sometimes like the, the, when you're, when you're working on the show, those lines don't hit you the way they do for the audience. But one thing I have, to, I have to interject here about using the audience and the community to kind of source ideas. It just right. Like the indirect approach, like if, if they're just talking about something, that's like when you know if you if you go and ask specifically y- you will just not get good information yeah. at all like people like will often say they like something but more to be nice than they really like You'll it be really or
2: less informed for doing it
1: yeah it's really just works so much better just to like be in the community and pay attention to what is organically being talked about than to try to force a decision
0: how did things work once the Microsoft relationship came to bear, is that what season? Well, what season of R V B was that one?
1: Well, there were kind of two steps. Um, the first was right off the bat we were contacted. That was episode three. Was of, when we were contacted by Microsoft, it was episode two. To episode two. Yeah, and um, we very quickly worked out uh, a relationship with them, but it was just around, uh, like we talked about before, just around the media. Yeah, um, and that was actually. A, really easy i mean because they were great about it and they were uh interested in innovation they liked what we were doing and it was just and Bungie was involved of course too and they felt the same way so that was that was awesome it was Uh,
2: it was season three we got the rights to put master chief on the on the dvd cover but it was probably another two years before we were able to start putting using licensed uh content on on other merchandise yep And I I remember that was the the approvals process was understandably slow. So Matt would make 30 shirt designs, and he would make them in January for summer release. And then he would submit those 30, and the 10 that they would approve would just become our merchandise. And then we would do that
5: twice a year, I remember. Not much has changed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One thing that you guys did do, which sold really well, was the Griff Ball, right? We
1: did, yeah. And the Griff Ball, that that was an interesting product line because... Bernie had made that game type, or I guess was that you and Bernie? Bernie or? and Gavin. And Gavin, I can't take credit for it. Yeah, so they they'd made that game, game type, Um and then we just kind of all fell in love with the, playing that game, and then we made that PSA, and then we we just decided to make the line of of of
2: shirts and things. It, but then it was we hired Griffin, my ex wife. Oh, that's right. To yeah. To make she made I think seventy five of them. That Microsoft let us like handmade seventy five griff balls that we were able to sell.
1: But when was the when, when was the action figure? I am trying to remember how that came about.
2: That was Mc, <sighs> McFarlane, right? That was Comic Con,
1: like wasn't that our first McFarlane? It, figure? it was our
2: first action figure. It was our first toy. Uh, yeah, and it was and it was
1: like it was Comic Con. It was like a it was, Comic-Con it was like a, a,
2: a Comic Con exclusive
1: Earth Entertainment or something. What's yeah, the name of that? I don't remember. Them. They're like a, they're a really big uh, like Comic Con type mm-hmm. seller. I to, how did that come about? I, can't I think remember they it
3: approached
2: now. us and said we want to make a Griff Ball action figure, and we want to s- like make five thousand of them and just sell them at Comic Con or yeah. something, as an exclusive.
1: That and then the Griffball plushes, uh, which Griffin made mm-hmm. four. Did she make more? Th- she made like more than one at first. She made seventy right? of them. She made seven. I
2: thought she made four, and then we had them actually mass. She made four okay. or five, and then we had her mass make more, and then that was like uh-huh. the limit of what she could do. And then, and we, so then we then had we them had them special. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are there any other iconic products you think back in the early days? You are like, God, that was great. I mean, DVDs were awesome. <laughs> uh,
2: DVDs were the best because they cost about seventy-five or about a buck to make and yeah. you could sell them for twenty dollars. The market
0: was amazing. Yeah.
1: What I don't know. What, what were your favorites?
2: I mean, it was. It was just T-shirts back then. It was yeah.
0: T-shirts and hats. The currency of the internet, as yeah. Bernie likes to say. Like, mm-hmm. this company was built on the currency of the internet. Yeah. Can you imagine Rooster Teeth without, without merchandise, what it would have been?
1: Wouldn't have been anything. Yeah. Probably would have gone out of business. But a, f- but I don't a think footnote
2: we in the history of the internet. Yeah. I don't
1: think we could have supported ourselves We'd, because there was no advertising revenue in the early days. Um, so it would have been only sponsorships, you know, if if you take out DVD revenue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it would have been tough to impossible.
0: Well, we've heard a lot about the early days of e-commerce and merch at Rooster Teeth. Now I wanted to flash forward and talk about How it all works today It's evolved a lot since those early days Man it has And I
1: know Jeff I kind of feel like When Yvonne uh, Convinced us to hire Emily Emily McBride yeah Was really the turning point 100% And From there I feel like It became Operationalized And Just has been Meaning not
0: In one of your Guy's hands
1: Yeah I think once it was No longer like Jeff didn't have to split time Yeah Doing it and Yvonne said, guys, this is a, a line of business. You need to really, you <laughs> need to take care of this in the right way. This is a big part of what you guys do, and Jeff can't do it while he's doing 30,000 other things. Um, then the thinking of it really changed where we started treating it towards what it's grown into now, you know, where it's like there need to be people, t- people dedicated to this every day, thinking about what's gonna go up, how the store is gonna look, what the products are gonna be, lines of products and things like that.
2: It was also uh, largely, uh, I would say that that moment when we hired Emily, I was very reticent obviously to turn that that part of the business over to, to someone else's control, because uh, this is something I was doing f- 30 to 50 hours a week, every week, and I had been doing it at that point for six years, seven years, but the benefits, uh, well, A, hey, she instantly ran the store better, uh, like from day <laughs> one, with her training and experience and ability, yeah. but it's a big reason why Achievement Hunter became successful because yeah. it freed me up to focus on production in a way that I had never been free to do before uh, because like th- it was one of the beauties of, of Rooster Teeth in the early days. We all wore so many hats, and we were everybody was a jack-of-all-trades, but it freed me up to, to spend more time on production and development, and that's really when Achievement Hunter took off mm-hmm. was when I had that 30 hours uh, a week to do other things.
1: Yeah, and then we started hiring designers who were actually dedicated to doing that you know, with, um, Brian and John and Tom. Uh, and then I think the next big moment really is Ezra was when you started, you know, and really got all your arms around the merch business.
0: Yeah. I thought it was just, it was really exciting what was going on here and it just felt like such a huge opportunity. And, um, I'm really proud of where, where we are today. Let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to go back to a Reddit comment I saw that I took a screen grab of from, probably like four or five months ago. This is from Demigod, And he says, just want to say as a fashion conscious nerd, I appreciate the new clothing designs RT keeps coming up with. First of all, thank you. But I think we're, we're doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. But in in Ryan and Tony, I think that's a testament to you guys. Maybe it'd be helpful for the audience just to understand how it all works. Like, you know, I was always, when I was thinking about you guys coming on the show, I was thinking a little bit about like those school, of rock. Like I'm just a bill just alone. Like, so like, <laughs> give me like the, can you like give us like the, the simple, like, how does this all work? Cause it's, it's a complex process of like how we create products and how we, um, you know, design and do us you know, uh, go and, uh, do the fabrication and, the all the way to the customer, but it's not, it's not easy, but like, why don't you just talk us through it a little bit?
5: Yeah. We, um, we have a calendar we work off of. It's from when we, when we start working on designs to when they actually go to market, it's about seven months. Um, so it starts with the planning. So you guys are talking about inventorying and, you know, what what to invest in and what styles will work and all that stuff. And we started that phase by going, um, how much we want to invest in? How many T-shirts for, say, Achievement Hunter? How many t- Achievement Hunter T-shirts are we going to make this quarter? How many jackets? What's out there in the marketplace that's new that we haven't done before? Um, and kind of how do you make it, uh, like, have cool options that people are going to want to buy? Um, so once we set the template there, it gets kicked over to uh, Tony, the design team, and um, looking at trends and, and consumers. You can
6: yeah, I mean, so from the time that I get it, the, the store team has already kind of gone through. They don't print out the store every day like Jeff did. They've gone through a demand planning and figured out we have this much money to spend. We need to make this much money. These are kind of the, the scope of the products that we can make. Uh, and I work with the product developers to kind of figure out, among all the brands, obviously, like these brands are going to get more attention. Achievement Hunter is going to sell more shirts than this other brand. Um, kind of figuring out how the split yes, works. Yes, they are. The <laughs> <laughs> N- never not true. Um, figuring out how, the, how those splits work. And then I work with the designers to kind of come up with concepts. So there's a couple of different prongs for design. Sometimes somebody from a property owner will come. If it's somebody from the animation team is like, we really want to see this Ruby shirt this time. Or if someone from Achievement Hunter comes over and says, hey, this is really latching on with the people that are watching this. We need to do a shirt based on this this bit that's going on right now. Um, So we can take those, we see stuff like just kind of like you guys used to do from the community. Um, If Mm -hmm. something's bubbling up, uh, that makes it in its way. And the, the third prong is just from inside the design department where we're constantly shopping. We're all consumers, we're watching what's going on. Same way you were saying about Disney, and that's kind of, I'm a huge Disney nerd, so Disney does a lot of things correct in consumer products. So kind of looking to see what they're doing and how that can trickle down, how that can be uh, used internally. We run those filters through kind of all of our properties and go back and present these ideas to the property owners, to the teams, and uh, kind of go back and forth internally with them. And once we land on a design, then we will get all the fancy files back to uh, Ryan and the rest of the e-commerce team to send off to.
0: So the brand managers are, are like a the guys from Achievement Hunter? Or yeah, they, yeah each,
6: each brand has kind of a couple people that have stepped up to – take the job because it is a, like a, a secondary full-time job to the amount of products that we're constantly putting in their face to get approvals uh, from everybody. Like they're everybody's getting a lot better at the process of working with the designers to get what they want, uh, kind of letting go of some of their brands and letting the designers take them. If they're like, oh, I don't know if I would wear that, maybe that's not my style. But if you guys think it'll sell,
0: let's, let's go for so it. So a little give and take. And then where's it go from there?
5: I think, yeah, once it gets to like the concept boards, like a trend board and, and you start with the concept everyone agrees on, then it spins out. I mean, there'll be uh, iteration of the logos, the color palette, the kind of applying all that thinking onto the CADs and and, it, and we start sampling. So. And that's um, what
0: I love going to your guys' office, by the <laughs> way. It's, it, it feels like... Um, I mean, it really feels like we work for a, a, like a fashion company or a design, co- you know, like a, a merchandising company. When you walk into your office and there's these huge walls with all these cool designs and you like look at it and you're like, I'm like, when's that coming? When's yeah. that coming? When's no, that coming?
5: We are I mean, we get this slack email and they're like, hey, shipment came in. We all rush over there and see what we got for the day. And we open up like Christmas, you know. <laughs> it's I'm, I'm blown away by
2: the process that you guys have, have been able to create. Uh, from, you know, my new role, uh, I work with Trevor on, uh, like, going through approvals and that, and that, and helping concept what the new look is going to be for Achievement Hunter or whatever. I'll speak specifically for Achievement Hunter because that's my purview. But, uh, just like the amount of lead time that you guys have is, it was so bad in the early days that like, and by early days, I mean six or seven years in, that it would sometimes be like, I would go to Matt and say, we need a shirt tomorrow. What do we got? And we would, like Matt and Gus and Bernie and I would just try to come up with something yep. and so we could take it to the printer the next day. We had planned, like there's a, for instance, the Q1 and Q2 Achievement Hunter, like achieve line is coming out. We've been working on that line since May maybe. And I think that we had the nuts and bolts of it down by August. And now I just saw the final proofs come through Trevor's desk the other day. And it's so crazy to think that we're planning merchandise as far as a year out that well and that cohesively. But it allows it allows for so much more, like I don't know, thoughtfulness to go into the product design and, and the cohesion of the entire collection. And uh, it's interesting challenges to think about like where we're going to be in a year and how we'll, we'll relate to that merchandise. Yeah. But to be able to be, the, the just the, the well-oiled machine that you guys have turned it into, is it's really fun to be a part of that machine.
1: It's so sophisticated.
2: What's that? It's so sophisticated. It
1: is, it really and is. And I mean both the operation and the products. Well, I think it's like, cool, too, it's really because cool.
0: as the, the system gets gets better, as the, the design get better, I can see the excitement from the talent and the, the brand managers as well. You know, I from think everybody, it, right?
1: Like when yeah. we do an all-hands? Yeah, yeah. And we'll show stuff off at all hands. You'll hear, hear people ooh and
0: ah over stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is just cool. Even yeah. walking
5: around the office, like you see it everywhere and it looks good. And you're like, oh, you know. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's we're, fun.
0: Yeah, and we're all, I mean, that's the reality. Is, like I think that why this business was successful, uh, continues to grow, and we continue to care about it is, like, we're all kind of geeks for this stuff. It's fun. Like, you were saying, Matt, earlier that, like, you like the consumer products piece because of, like, the design orientation and, like, just geeking out. I like, that's how I am. That's when I came to rooster teeth. I was like very excited about this part of you guys' business because like, you know, I, I kind of am a little bit of a geek on that. I yeah. like, you know, I like worked at a shoe store, you know, back Ryan, back to your feet thing. I worked at, a, <laughs> I, I, worked at a, I worked so at well. a sports <laughs> store growing up. I like sold tennis rackets and tennis shoes. And like, you know, I just kind of like, liked the whole thing. And so like when I came here, I was like, it's really fun what you guys are doing. You create these incredible shows, People say funny things. You take the logos from the shows. You take the funny things. You and you create a fashion line on that. And and you sell like I hate to it, fashion kind of undersells. I think what we're doing, but we we create products that people connect with. And yeah. I think that's really it's really fun. It's, it's and I think that merchandise is is a fun part of our business. It it, it it's something different. It creates a different connection uh, than than your run of the mill media company today.
1: I mean, I think the fashion thing is really true because. What I, well, how I love that we've evolved is that it's not just you know about your, the shows and the connection to the shows, which I and the, the talent, which I think those connections are still super strong in the merch, which is amazing. But there's also this sense of this is happening right now and it's really cool and it feels of the moment and feels like we're like part of a broader conversation on the merch level and that stuff is just like really fun to me. Like I'm looking at Ryan is sitting here with a an Achieve shirt on. Right now, that's got skull and crossbones and you know Asian characters on it, and I, I don't even know what it is, but man, it's just really cool. And if I didn't know what Achievement Hunter was, I would still like
2: be walking down the street and going, "That is a cool shirt. Where did that come from?" It's from the Achievement Hunter Punk Rock Achieve line.
0: It's based off a Clash shirt. It's very cool. Thank you. Speaking of that, Tony, where, where did the where do the inspirations for the design team come from? Uh, like Ryan was
6: saying earlier, when we get each brand, we're kind of we kind of do a. a a whiteboard where everybody sits around and we're like, we're going to put Achievement Hunter up on the top of the board and we're just going to fill the rest of the board with words. We haven't shown you guys the words that we filled the boards with. <laughs> Some of the ones get canceled out and we kind of like <laughs> spitball to see a mixture of what a, the team would wear, what we think people want to buy. Cause sometimes those are two different things and what's currently trending. Um, and we live in a, in a world of like appropriation. People like to be like, Oh, I want that shirt to remind me of this other thing that I like. In addition Mm. to the thing that I like or I want some people are like more sophisticated. I just want a tiny logo. So we have to fulfill the needs of several different consumers uh, and the brand owners and internally. And it has to cost the right amount of money. Um, So it's kind of a balancing act where we put everything on the table, start chopping away at it, uh, get on a storyboard going and then work with the teams themselves to kind of figure out what what we can do.
1: And that's not easy. No, no. I know. I'm sure you've had moments. I've had moments with the team where they designed something and I was like uh it's it's cool but I don't know if it's the right thing for right now and you know the comment back will be like I've gotten everybody else to agree on it. Please, <laughs> that's like thirty people have already agreed to this. I just need to get it done.
6: Yeah, like something will get done, and someone's like, "Oh, okay, we'll send it off to print." And someone's like, "Did you show? Did you show Matt yet?" And I was like, "Does he? Does he need to see?" Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, it's, who's it's done. I've crossed it off. Let me ask you a question, Tony.
2: Out of everybody at Rooster that you work with, who's the hardest to to? Who's like the the most uh, discerning eye? The hardest person to please. The hardest person to please. Um.
6: I would say at the beginning when we were transitioning Achievement Hunter into the collections, because there are so many of you that wear, some people don't care about what they wear as much as some people do. Um, And the fans, again, the fans are very varied and people have been with you for a while. They're like, I just want a shirt, a tiny little Achievement Hunter logo. Some people are like, I want a big thing of something that Gavin said that's really funny. Um, So transitioning from content-based shirts to lifestyle, fashion-based shirts Mm -hmm. was a bit of a... Like, we 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 landed on the correct answer, but it uh, there were a couple iterations at the beginning that weren't quite right. Uh, just trying to nail that down. Like I said, now it's kind of a more well-oiled machine, and people understand what we're getting at. Um, but but I'm not, th- not going to throw anybody directly under the bus,
1: yes. They've seen the results. I mean, I think that inspires people, too. And, you Because know, I think, Jeff, I mean, it felt risky, I think, for all of us to, like, go in this really kind of progressive, new direction – for those of us who have been around since the beginning, kind of like understood what we were selling, but you guys have really
2: just, you've elevated it. You, know? you really have, yeah. It, it's so fun to watch. Like, I still am in the back end every day. Uh, at least once a day, I'll go in the back end to see how stuff's, I, I can't, I'll never, even when I don't work here, I'll still have access to the back end and I'll still look. I just, I'll never be able to let it go. But uh, they, they, like the top three sellers in the store today are a Monopoly board, a $500 Ruby statue, and a Moonball. <laughs> it's it's like, amazing. Those three things don't belong together. It's so crazy, yeah. and yeah, and it, it's awesome. How many? Do you know how many product a year you guys design, off the top of your head? Uh, over a thousand.
5: Yeah. I mean, there's a thousand. about three hundred wow. per quarter. It's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy.
0: I'm sure, Tony. You also, when, you know, when you see Rooster Teeth community members in mass, it's also a great opportunity for you to to look and watch and study. And I mean, I always find myself at RTX just looking out in the crowds and seeing what people are wearing and yeah it's kind of know.
6: the same like we were saying again bringing it back to Disney like when you I go to theme parks a lot, specifically Disney just kind of watching what people cuz that's where people specifically brand themselves like they go all in um mm-hmm. so watching when someone fully embodies the brand that they're trying they're like I'm here I'm in the park paying for the thing wearing the shirt of the thing riding the thing um you kind of kind of see how they put that passion into that and so just taking out of there, RTX is the, the smaller version of that, going to RTX and seeing what people cosplay as, what's caught on, uh, what shirts people have. Obviously, we see a lot of modified stuff now where people are taking the shirts and turning them into dresses, taking cosplaying. I saw people like Grapes, the shirt, the cosplay at, in London. Um, so I saw a lot of different... You can see what how the things evolve on their own. Yeah. And once they're in the world, you kind of don't own them anymore,
0: which is kind of fun to
6: see where it goes.
0: Besides Disney, are there... Other brands that you look at that you aspire for your work to emulate, or things that you look at that you're like, those guys are really doing a, a cool
5: thing.
6: Um, yeah. Apart from like the bigger brands like that, there's a, a smaller brand uh, out of Boston called Johnny Cupcakes. It's kind of started with a guy drawing this little logo in the comic book shop that he worked at. People are like, you should put that on a shirt, and kind of the same way he was like, oh, I'll print those out, and couldn't print them fast enough. I think it's still mostly kind of his family and friends run the business. He opened up a couple of shops, but it's kind of keeping it limited. They do a couple of shirts. They're all kind of referential to pop culture things and the, the care that he imbues in his brand. And he goes to all the meet and greets and he stays in line till everyone's gone. It's the kind of the same stuff yeah. I see with RTX with the, with the talent here. Um, I've kind of been following that brand since the beginning. So on a smaller scale, not to say smaller scale, they're really, really successful now. Um, I keep an eye on what they're doing and how, they treat their fans and what kind of events they do and pop-up shops and uh, stuff like that. So that's a, a really influential brand that I've been following. And the second half, the back half, not to model our stuff after, but streetwear is omnipresent right now. It's, it's in. You can't escape it. Um, so keeping up with, like, the original, like, the hundreds, Stussy, Undefeated, like the original, the big boys, mm-hmm. kind of seeing what will trickle down to us. Because if somebody's doing, Carhartt's doing overalls right now, we're not going to make overalls. But you know, three seasons from now, who's not to say we'll be on The Bungalow episode 200 talking about the overalls that we're releasing <laughs> next quarter. <laughs> uh, so it's important to keep an idea of what's going on, but also to realize what we can actually sell
2: in our store. You know, we're
1: destined to make overalls now. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely make. Let's run to the,
2: the beach towels. You should recommend we make koozies now.
0: <laughs> I don't think we ever heard the koozie story, by yeah. the way. Matt, do you want to go there? No, I don't.
2: It's <laughs> just a, it's a bitter feud between the uh, five people.
0: <laughs> almost brought down Rooster I'll say that the, yeah. Coo- the great koozie
1: controversy damaged some friendships <laughs> for sure can, what can you do
0: ryan what do you from a strategic perspective you know you've now been here for over a year where do you see this going
5: um i think that god who knows there's so many different places there's um the way that we approached the achievement line that was the first collection actually we did with this new thinking in mind um and we were extremely nervous because we spent so much time working on it. Um, we worked with marketing on the the look of it. You guys did a, this, like, photo shoot to kind of tell the whole story, and it launched. And we sat there holding our breath, and it worked. And we were like, okay, well, there's something here. Um, and so I think that more of that along those lines um, is where we're going to continue to progress it. So I would go um, with silhouettes that aren't necessarily a, a plug-and-play. So it's going to be more custom, mm-hmm. um, more upgrading of the actual materials, so looking at know, what can you put in? How can you, you customize the features? Um, look at the way, like, Nike has done their sportswear. It's really interesting. They'll have a sweatshirt with um, a basic sweatshirt, the same material base with some zippers, and then they change up to the same silhouette with, like, a polyester base, and then they'll have thumb holes, and they have different price tiers, and they kind of just build in cool custom features to it. Um, so there's a way for us to look at innovating, like, innovation. Yeah.
0: One of the fun things about having this this group now is like I almost feel like Rooster Teeth at the core is a, is a truly a content company, but I I like it almost feels like merchandise is its own thing now. It's yep. not like we make content and then merch is the thing following it. It's almost like merch is its own can be its own thing. It's part of the storytelling,
5: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, and it's its own its own ability to like to create its own stories.
1: Well, one thing we talked about in that.
0: Transition period, kind of
1: like in the early Yvonne Emily McBride uh, days, was that we wanted the con that we wanted the merch to feel like content. Like, you know, we, we're we are a content company, right? But we felt like the merch unto itself could be a content story. And I feel like you guys have just like so nailed that, mm-hmm. you know.
6: I think there's some credit to be given, even having spent time boots on the ground in marketing before, like, yeah, and photography, mm-hmm. like, the, the elevation, everybody. Like you said, all the moving parts are being added in and half of lifestyle apparel is presenting it in such a way that it looks cooler than it actually is. So you get that feeling, you get the vibe from the photo. So like hiring Wes, we named Wes, like there's a before Wes and an after Wes time in marketing the product. And like like I said, as a person that shops for Streetwear a lot, you can see the influence that he has on the photos that make me want to buy the stuff that I've, stared at for
0: a year already i'm like well now now i want to buy it
2: (laughs) yeah yeah and nathan Nathan as well yeah
3: yeah nathan's
0: Nathan's our marketing guy on on the merchandising side Wes is the photographer and ryan one thing i was really struck with when you came aboard here was certainly there was a lot of work on the process and the the design uh, but we also really elevated the way we thought about bringing product to market
5: yeah
0: what do you you know I, i was impressed with your philosophy of like this of of storytelling to reinforce these brands. So, can you talk a little bit about how you think about that?
5: Yeah, I think um, it goes back. I mean, from once you once you agree on a creative concept that you know Tony's team's going to work on, and kind of culminating all the feedback and where the direction is for any given brand. So, two Hunter's easy. We are talking about it. Um, so, you agree on that? You make the products, you go to market, and then you go back to the marketing team. You can say, "Hey, here's where this came from. Here's the inspiration. Here's some photos to look at to reference back." And then within, we look at it like on a, on a quarterly basis or a seasonal basis of so three months. And we basically will look at the number one story to, to pick and, and say, this is what we want to focus on for marketing. Because, you know, you can't, you, all the content we create, all the product lines we're doing, you can't do everything. So just try to really focus it on, on one cool thing that kind of elevates everything as a halo effect.
2: Cool. Sweet halo
0: plug. I'm going to talk about a few initiatives that we've recently launched that I think are pretty exciting Um, first Jeff I want to talk about the Jeff line do you want to tell a little bit of the story behind that
2: Uh, the story behind the Jeff line is that you berated me into making it (laughs) every time you saw you came to me one day and you said hey why don't you wear rooster teeth clothes and I said why doesn't Metallica wear Metallica t-shirts you don't do that and you said it would be better. If, it would be better if you would wear shirts. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And you said, what? If, you should start designing shirts that you would wear. And I said, ha, ha ha. And then you kept saying that to me over and over again. And you st- and your smile got less and less until I realized you were serious.
0: <laughs> this was internally. I, I want you to know this was like a this was a campaign I I had given myself. Okay. For for a long time, I saw a comment on Reddit from someone who said where does Jeff get his shirts and then there was a link to the cotton bureau mm-hmm. and then every day I'd see you at work and you'd be wearing a different shirt that was not a rooster t-shirt and it, and it kind of burned me a little bit like yeah. cuz you were like almost like too cool I didn't really know you that well back then but I was like why does this guy think he's like too cool for wearing hometown con- you know our hometown shirts and so and then you found out I really am too cool for it. <laughs> but anyway it, it, that was sort of the 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 like the genesis the genesis of of how we got here but it's it's taken really on on a life of its own
2: yeah no for sure um i was just looking at the year-to-date numbers on on just this year alone i had no idea we were that successful um it uh it turned out to be a really really fun project that i was not anticipating and the reason like you spoke of cotton bureau that's this it's there's a million of these stores online it's one of those ones where users submit designs, and then if 30 people agree to buy it, then they print the shirt. And so I was buying a bunch of shirts that 30 or 40 people in the world owned. Uh, Part of that is just wanting to feel uh, like a snowflake and feel unique and not look like everybody around you. That's right. Uh, And uh, some of that also is wanting to be a little, uh, you know, I'm I'm older now. I'm 43. I was probably 39 when we started this. I don't, you don't want to walk around being a very blatant billboard in your 40s for the stuff that you like the way you did in your 20s when it was like the most important thing I could have done would be to put a Black Flag shirt on in my 20s and tell the world I was a fan of Black Flag or Rooster Teeth. Uh, and uh, But realistically, it was Black Flag, not Rooster Teeth. Uh, <laughs> and so I was trying to find... But my aesthetic hasn't changed. I still just want to wear Vans and blue Dickies and, and then black T-shirts. Uh, so I started to find... I wanted to find shirts that were designed well that didn't just seem like advertisements. And so... Uh, so that was
0: the design concept that behind was, Jeff? yeah. Right, which which was like okay, you agreed to now if we did something that would look like something you would wear, mm-hmm. you would do it, and I, then
2: I had one one rule was that you couldn't put any, a Rooster Teeth branding on it in any way whatsoever. So we used to put the Rooster Teeth logo on the on the back on the yoke, and I had to fight that. But um,
0: and we sell the Jeff Jeff Ramsey collection a little bit differently.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Ever we do Ryan, you want to talk about like sort of the model behind the uh, behind how we do Jeff?
5: Yeah, it's um it there's a collection that drops every month. Um, and it'll be limited product, so as soon as it sells out, it's gone. Um, and I think the consumer is crazy to watch what's happened because everyone's aware of it now. So you could probably do it without even seeing the email out. And it would sell out immediately as soon as word got out. Um, In fact, last
1: time we released one, I noticed people complaining on Twitter because they were they we were responding to the marketing tweet uh-huh. for it uh, from the from the store account, but the shirts were already sold out. Yeah. So it was like so many people were saying like, oh man, I just saw this and it's already sold out. That's I, like it happened so fast.
0: And, and some people, so you know, I, you know, I got a lot of comments of people who were like, why do you guys do the limited edition? I, Jeff, you want to talk about that? Cause we were having a conversation about that. Yeah.
2: There's, there's a, there's a few reasons that not the least of which is I like to, I like the concept of collecting. I collect baseball cards and comic books when I was a kid. And I like the idea of collectability, but, um, also, honestly, the, the, the scarcity model is a proven success, and it works, and that's partially why companies like Supreme are so successful. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of, and I, and I don't think the audience maybe always understands this, it allows for a, a lot more uh, creativity and design, and it allows us to take more chances. Mm-hmm. If it works in a traditional way, like we have the Q1 achievement hunter line we made eight shirts that are going to come out next year or a a variety eight products from shirts to windbreakers or whatever and those are the achievement hunter shirts we're going to sell for six months next year or five months four months next year whatever it is and that's it and if you don't like those eight shirts sorry maybe you'll like what we sell in the fall but that's what we that's what we're giving you and with the with the jeff line we make two shirts a month if you don't like this month no worries you get a new shirt design next month maybe that one will be more to your liking and so it Uh, by not having to hold stock, by not having to buy 10,000 of a shirt, by only having to buy six or 700 of them, then we don't take a huge hit if a design doesn't land. And it also, depending on how quickly some of the items sell out, that's super informative and it tells us kind of what direction to move in. Uh, And it allows us to just be very, very nimble and try new things and take chances in ways that we couldn't traditionally. It's
0: also fun. And Let's it's go. super fun. Yeah.
2: It, I'm not going to lie, it's the, probably the most fun I have in Rooster Teeth is working with Tony and Monica and Tobin and those guys to make the new the like the upcoming Jeff stuff. Like we're planning a year and a half out on some of the stuff. Yeah, right. Now. You've got yeah, ideas just kind of backlogged and you every time you talk about oh we're going to do this collection and I've
6: got this other idea that we're going to get around to eventually. So I've you know, we're all banking ideas, yeah. And but also, I like the it.
0: idea when we first started that the thing, the shirts were numbered for the collectability, mm-hmm. and that like once a design came out, it was gone. Like yeah. it was never coming back. Like it was retired. And I thought that was like a fun, fun thing well, for That us pisses some people off, though. <laughs> it does, but it does. But it's also just like that's. It, it, we're in a fast-moving world. This is yeah. a, we're fast fashion here, guys. Like you know, we just gotta keep moving forward. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I think it's it's just. I, I just always liked that. I thought that was like going to be a fun thing for us to do. They're all numbered. Like, you know, I, I always pictured like three years later, people would be like, oh, do you have Jeff 17? Like, you know, and it's kind of a little bit come true. Yeah, a little bit. It is. Uh,
2: it's 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 kind of uh, going back to the idea of like gamifying mm-hmm. our, our yeah. products a little bit. And like from when we made our first community site and we tried to gamify that, like we, we're gamifying the product in essence as well and uh, it just it adds I hope another layer of enjoyment to the merchandising process for the audience
6: and what I'm hearing is that this is like the best Avenue I have to get the overalls made is if they're Jeff
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's a good segue to talk a little bit more about the other lifestyle lines that we've built Ryan do you want to talk about the coop which was a big endeavor that you launched at RTX this year
5: yeah that was fun that was we basically what we did was as we you know back in march when we launched the first achieve line and we had um kind of the marketing story around it and we started to build in more um just character and meaning behind the product i guess so we looked at achievement hunter uh jeff line rooster teeth sugar pine 7 and ruby kind of identified as in um, and Funhouse, as um, the brands we wanted to kind of bring to market in a new light that kind of elevated even further than what we had already done in the last six months. And so we thought we rented a space across the street from RTX and we wanted to line up an artist or a partnership to have a collaboration come together and kind of tell the story in even a, an elevated way, more elevated way. So we had limited product for every single item there. And the storytelling was basically the artist collaboration with the brand in a limited product, and you had to be there to get it. So it was the first time that we'd done anything like that, and we were super nervous. We spent the whole week kind of setting up. Um, The night before, we were up, you know, probably two in the morning or something like that, and I didn't even sleep. I stood up in the morning, I was like, (laughs) I was like, is anyone going to come to this? This Fuck, this could be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And we all went outside, and there was a line that started wrapping around like four ways to get, you know, four times to get We did give away beer also. We did have, yeah, we did have the uh, beer we're drinking right now. It's a line of single homeless brew. people looking for <laughs> <golden things>. wearing <laughs> red caboose
3: shirts. Um, people liked it. People that was great. It. I, and yeah.
2: I I
1: loved it. It's yeah. like it was just so cool. The setup was cool. Yeah. The the event of it, you know, it was cool. Seeing people like go in and like you know their eyes get wide and looking all the different stuff was fun. It's it a great experience.
0: I want to ask some questions from the community. The, these are going to be peppered around with all you guys, so feel free to jump in. This is from uh, Lexi B. Is there a plan to expand the community creative lines in the future? I, yes. Yes, and yes. Uh, And we've worked with Lixie before. I think she
3: did a lot of Yeah,
6: yeah, she did our Halloween collection this year, actually. Um, With the community site kind of going through its relaunch, um, I kind of want to work with the team there to bring a new home to community creative, like on our own site and kind of own it a little bit better. And kind of, we're working internally to kind of set the rules for that and how we want to move forward with it, but I want it to live on our site so that you know where to go to submit to things where I want to be a part of this. Um, so once that community site gets kind of up and running and I find a space on it that is a good space for the store um, so that it doesn't feel manufactured and like we don't want people to vote on shirts. We'll get, you know, obviously the wrong things. We want people to commit and come and submit their own ideas and kind of figure out where we're at. So that's a to be determined with the new site. Uh, kind of working
0: in the background like that right now. Cool. Here's a question from Nate is Gucci. Have you guys thought about putting together seasonal lookbooks and mailing them out to people who frequently buy, so they loosely know what to expect is coming the following quarter? Definitely, oh, that's, cool.
2: that's a great idea. That's
4: awesome.
3: That would
5: imply as soon that we're as we get that we far are. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we've been talking about that for this holiday. We didn't um, get the product because you have to have the product design samples, everything like locked in months in advance to do that. We're almost there. So. we did, we did, we did
1: mailers a few times in the past. Uh, we did this. Gus Mann comics <laughs> thing that we, it, it was kind of like, it was a comic plus that had our line of shirts and things in the middle of it. So it was kind of like a, a catalog that we snuck in there. And, um, you know, we didn't know what to respect, expect in terms of results, but I always liked that thing. And people were excited when they got them yeah. in the mail at their home. It's like, what is this? This is so cool. What is this from? Yeah. And there's something just about that aspect of it, like the... Especially today,
0: it'd be so surprising.
2: Yeah, exactly. uh, It was also a super engaging, well-written comic that I...
3: (laughs) I'm not saying it's because I wrote it, but I mean, it was
2: Gus Man the superhero, fighting the villain high prices. That's right. And so that he could bring savings to the young boys and girls. I think we need to
0: pitch that under our DC deal. No kidding,
1: right? Yeah, I did pick that up in a heartbeat.
5: We do have a sexy gusman Man uh, mailer going out soon.
0: Oh, that's right, we do. <laughs> I
1: think there's been a few teases of that <laughs> online that were yeah. X rated. Here's,
0: here's a question from the Clay Dart. Are there plans to do more limited edition prints? For example, I love, love, love the prints at Tobin designed yeah. and would love to see more. Also, I'd like to be it would be cool to see other collectible art-y art tea art designed by artists in the community.
2: Yeah, I mean... I mean there's a Jeff collection, uh, one coming out pretty soon in the next couple, like the next drop or two, so either, I don't know if it'll be, is this year or next in, year? In November, yeah. In November, yeah, there'll be a collectible uh, Jeff art print based on one of the new designs.
5: Um, Things are awesome, too. Yeah, and, and the with, with the
6: animation specifically as well, they've been kind of uh, clamoring to get in on the the screen printed poster and kind of working with uh, we released that vinyl with Mondo, so we're kind of going down several different avenues trying to figure out what works for us, Try not to bite off more than you can chew, diving into something that's uh, got an established fan base already.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay, we've, uh, we've covered the history, we've covered the process of how we make things, we've covered some highlights of the things that we're doing today, like the Jeff collection and uh, how it all comes together. Now let's get to the the fun part, customer service. I was wondering what the fun part was going (laughs) to (laughs) be. Chelsea, is that the fun part?
4: Oh, actually, it is a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) So there's some great customer service companies out there. There's Amazon, there's Zappos, there's Patagonia. There's some terrible customer service companies, name an airplane, (laughs) (laughs) DMV. (laughs) I would say, historically, we've been a little bit in the middle i think that we, we uh, are you but, saying jeff did a bad job with customer service i was started. our customer service department
1: for seven years you know in the early i just sorry to inter- interrupt but there, in the early days jeff's cell phone number was the customer service line and so we would be out doing whatever just in the middle of town or like it, was, it seemed like it was always when we were coming back from lunch yep and his phone would ring and, and you hear jeff go uh-huh uh-huh order number uh-huh yeah Okay, well, I'm sorry you think it sucks. All right, thanks, bye. Yeah. <laughs> no. You have, do you have a teenage son? I there was a lot a of home? that like
2: uh, trying to explain ma'am? who Rooster Teeth Productions is and why we showed up on their credit card. <laughs> yeah. And that was 100% it would be like, uh, do you have a teenage son or daughter? You do? Okay. Do they play video games? That's me. That yeah. hasn't
4: changed. <laughs> I uh,
2: I was I think I was telling you this earlier as in those early days there was one Christmas, I want to say it was season 3. I was New Year's Eve, or Christmas Eve, I was at my in-law's house, and I, they thought I was rude, because I took 107 calls on Christmas Eve, just sitting in their living room, just customer service calls. Ugh. That was my entire Christmas. Ugh. And then I, I called up, I remember I called up Matt, and uh, not Matt, actually, I called up Bernie and Gus, and I said, I want help. And they were like, it's your job, you deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, you guys take a few calls, and they're like, no, we're good.
0: Customer service is is critical, though. It it oh, is, absolutely. you know, it really, you know, as I go through those brands, like it really shapes who you are. Like if you have excellent customer service, people like you; they want to buy things from you, especially today. Um, and when when your customer service is bad, it, it's disqualifying. And so, customer service is something that that I think is super important, and it's hard. You know, and it's, it's, it's a little bit like being the referee of like a sports event, you know, like as long you make the calls every single day, but like you screw up one call and you just get oh, lambasted. Yeah, yeah. Um. But maybe it'd be good just to air some dirty laundry and talk about some of the, the challenges we've had with customers. So it's just a level set and then we can talk about where we're going, what we've done. But Chelsea, do you want to maybe go through a hit list of some of the things that have gotten that, that community reaction that, um that you'd like to, you got one shot here to like redeem, redeem the company. it's <laughs> wow, all on the line. Wow. <laughs> that's not a whole no lot of pressure. weight on my
4: shoulder or anything. Um, so, I mean, I guess let's go ahead and start with like the biggest one that everyone's going to talk about anyways, which is going to be Christmas of last year, 2017. Um, really, it was, it started with a really great thing, which was Extra Life 2017. I remember it was doing the Rooster Teeth Extra Life stream, And I'm sitting at home. I'm still in my pajamas, drinking like a cup of coffee. It's maybe 8.30, 8.45. And I get a text saying that we're sold out of that Pokemon pen set, the one that's like all the badges that we had. And it's like, hey, you know, we just blew through like 1,500, 2,000 quantities of these. Like, what do we do? I'm like, well, what's Jack say? Like, what, what do we do? It's like, and you know, a bunch of us got together and we kind of talked and just said, open it back up. Like, This is too early, too soon in the stream. And so that was like the beginning of this tiny little snowball that started going down the hill because we got 5,000 (laughs) orders for that pen all of a sudden. And it wasn't just the pen that people were buying, but it was Christmas gifts because we had a sale going on. And so everyone was like, oh man, I can like get charity done and I can get my sister something really cool. So we had 5,000 orders that were sitting there with a pen set that wasn't even made yet.
0: It was back-ordered, Yeah, <laughs> it was back-ordered. So, back, so you have thousands of orders that get back-ordered mm-hmm. for Christmas gifts. That's never a good way to start a Christmas season.
4: No. And we were really hoping that it was like, okay, you know, four, five, six weeks, we can get the pins in, we can ship them out. That's not what happened with the pin set. And so as that's happening, other issues are starting to crop up that we never really noticed before. Like, oh, what's happening with, like our inventory, like why are all these other items suddenly like going into back order? If anyone who doesn't know what a back order is, it means that when someone is placing an order, our inventory is not allocating correctly. And so it's just like everything just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and suddenly yeah. the snowball is just like, hey, you know, these orders aren't gonna ship out, we're not gonna have extra life pens until like the end of December, maybe January, like nothing is looking good. And it just started going and
0: going. What if you look back? What I mean, like obviously, don't sell more of those pins on Extra Life. But what are the things you you feel like from a communicate? Because customer service, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is about communication, right? Agreed. It's like people, you know, things happen. People really just want to. They want to know, know what's going on, right? So what what are the what are the lessons you learned from last year? The
4: moment that something seems up, like where it could potentially affect more than like five or six people look at it closely. Say, oh, do we actually need to go transparent with this? Do we need to let the community know that, hey, this is a bigger thing going on. You know, don't be afraid about sending out a mass email to five, six hundred people saying, Hey, FYI, your order is not gonna ship because of this item. Yeah, I, I just, felt yeah. like there was
1: like last year a lot of the communication issue mm-hmm. in the beginning was we we didn't understand the size of the problem no not at all and and er, I think everyone thought oh well the shipments gonna come in quickly and it'll it'll be fine and we have time to turn this around and then a couple days go by and you get new information and you think oh is this is this messed up you know this seems worse than what I thought but but no it's, there's still time for it to it, get it's fixed it'll yeah. so, so be okay and then by the time you get to the next week it seems like a ton of time has gone by, yeah, and then you're really just under the gun. and I, I think you're totally right. like it, we like in in that whole scenario, I felt like we tried to be as transparent as we could as quickly as we could. and but what one of our just big issues was we just didn't understand the size of the problem no until until too late. And then it seemed like we were we had been holding on mm-hmm. to talking about the problem and when it in actuality like we just it was just too hard to comprehend. Because of all the various pieces.
2: Some of it was also a little bit of misinformation through, uh, you know, a a lot of these complaints came through the Reddit, the subreddit. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, by the way,
0: that's a great way to get customer service. It's a great way. The best place to
2: get customer service is is in a subreddit. But I know, I know Chelsea lives on that subreddit, as do I and as does Bernie. And in the holidays, she was getting inundated with that stuff. And so I was not doing much. So I jumped in and I started to help with problems as well whenever I did. And you and I talked a few times and Bernie did the same thing. And I would say at least, because there would be like 20 th- new threads a day of people having store problems. And so I would hop in, be like I'm not doing anything at my mom's house. So let me help you out. Over half the time, those situations were resolved. Uh, They weren't actual problems. It was a miscommunication in Mm -hmm. some capacity. Person's credit card uh, had been declined and they didn't pay attention. I didn't realize or whatever. It was miscommunication. But when those problems get solved, what happens is the thread gets deleted and the audience never sees that the problem was resolved. They just see the next thread that's a problem. So they just kept seeing over and over again that there were these problems and they didn't see the resolution because as soon as I stepped in and I go, okay, you're good to go. You're taken care of the mods or whoever would come in and kill that thread and it would disappear out of the ether. And so the audience just saw the, the anger and the ire mm-hmm. of people having problems. They never saw the resolution that was going on very quickly every day, all day long. Uh, and so... Uh, there, that,
1: were, I, there was also a, a little bit of bandwagoning. You there know? was a little bit of bandwagoning. There was times when people were too quick to think that their order was delayed or was messed up or had the same predicament as somebody else's. And would jump in and well, write the about... They
4: misspelled their email.
1: Yes, we had a lot of that, and people's orders would show up, but then they'd already posted, and then that does live forever because it's not resolved, right? Because there was nothing to resolve in the first place. Yeah. So it's it's it snowballs really fast, like you said. But mm-hmm.
2: they, they, but I mean, people did legitimately have problems. Oh, Is for sure. Yeah. Like I'm not trying yeah, to make like we were we were we uh, were in the clear there. There were people had problems on a larger scale than they'd had in the past. Um, but there were I I just don't think that a lot of the audience saw how much work was going in because kind of by the nature of solving the problem, covered up the pro- like the, right. the, the resolution. Right.
0: This is a question I got from Sly Merriman, which is a good, I think it's a good, fair question and something that we should really talk about. Does Rooster Teeth have their customer service support on premises? Is it outsourced to another facility? How many people typically work on customer service support, responding to emails, et cetera, in any given day?
4: So half of our customer support team, we actually have nine people on for this year. Half of them are based here in Austin, and the other half are located out in Los Angeles. Um, right now, that's for the holiday, correct? Yeah, that's just for the holiday. Yeah. But even outside of the holiday, we're now up to uh, three full-time people who working on tickets every day, um, and two of them are actually in Austin, so that's really exciting. But for the holiday, just to give you an idea of like how much we've grown since last year, last year we only had four people on staff. That was one dedicated and three seasonal. And so this year we've over doubled it. That's
2: that's, that's actually another thing to point out that I, I think maybe a lot of people don't realize unless they've worked in the in uh, the service industry or product industry in some capacity, um, in retail is Roost Teeth does more than I don't know, I don't know the exact percentage, but I would say probably sixty percent of our sales come in a two month window at the end of the year, or at least a, a, a good portion. Pretty close, yeah. I mean, Pretty close. Yeah. And so by and and this is a problem that every Online retailer has not just Rich Teeth, but you have to hire seasonal help because you can't afford twenty employees to sit around and do nothing ten months out of the year. And so there's a there is going to be an issue with training people up and getting them up to speed and correcting early mistakes. And it's um it's just something that every retailer has to live with and has to deal with. Uh, But it's it's sort of like a necessary evil that we all deal with. Are there any?
0: So Maverick Mac ninety one asks, what other steps have been taken? to ensure we don't have a repeat of last year's issue with the store around the Christmas period. Are there anything else you, you've mm-hmm. done?
4: So uh, talking about like what Jeff just said, we hired even our seasonal people starting a month ago. So things haven't even really picked up too much yet, but they've had time to get in, start learning what's going on, and like really get themselves familiar with the community, with our website, and our product. Uh, on top of that, I've spent the better part of this year writing a very in-depth customer resource manual that will show the exact process for everyone to try and follow.
0: Yeah, last year was a complete craziness. Yeah. Jeff, you were you and I were having this conversation. Yeah,
2: you? yeah, for sure. Uh, an, an, another big thing that we did behind the scenes that I, I think a lot of uh, the, the problem that Matt talked about, uh, bandwagoning a little bit, bandwagoning a little bit, and maybe not being as transparent as people wanted us to be, was that we had outgrown our fulfillment center. And, um, which is a, another one of those great problems to have, but when it's a problem, it's a huge problem. And we were in the process of transitioning away from our fulfillment center to a new fulfillment center, which is at our size with the amount of SKUs and the amount of product that we keep in inventory. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of items. Uh, it's a major undertaking that's taken like over six months mm-hmm. to do. And so when we realized as a part of the problem with Christmas is that we had outgrown their capability, we had to start making that transition. And that's not something like flipping a switch. We had that been problem there. doesn't get fixed. We had been at that facility for well over 10 years. Yeah, it was a really tough decision to make. Yeah. Uh, those were really, really good people. But we just got to a point where we were too big uh, for them to handle our load. And... Uh, but, but to get out from under that and to move to the new one and to work out all the kinks, it's a, it's a very long process. It's not something that you can do in a weekend.
0: But we're ready for this Christmas, right, guys? Yes. yes. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you do get, uh, you know, let's just, I mean, I, we, we have the, 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 the ear of the audience right now. Like, what, what should people do if they, if they do have a legitimate customer service issue, which will happen from time to time? Like, what, what do you do with rooster teeth?
4: So, like, one of the biggest problems that we see is when someone has a question, that's what they do. They just say, I have a question. They don't give us any information. They don't tell us what the problem is. They're not letting us know that they do have a problem. And so by doing that, it's taking us twice, three times as long to solve their issue when it could have been like, I have a problem with my order, which is order number, six-digit thing. The blah, blah, blah was broken, or I need to exchange a new size. With that information, we can be like, oh we can solve this right now. Here's your thing, here's your stuff, done. About 20, 30 minutes it took us to do all that.
1: As opposed to having to go back and forth in conversation you don't know how long it's going to take for them to get their email and send you another Mm -hmm. email. So getting all the information out with your customer service inquiry the first time just
2: makes it easy. And And that's the, I'm sorry, I was just going to ask. The preferred Mm -hmm. method is email, right? Our customer service email. Because a lot of people think that to get a problem solved, you just shout it as loudly as you can (laughs) on Twitter or on Instagram. And that the problem will resolve itself. But you have but then it, that relies on us finding it. So
4: I myself will look on other social media websites, but that's just one person. The best way is, you know, come to our support site. We have live chat during the day. We have an email. You can send us an email any time of the day. It doesn't matter if it's 2 a.m. where you are or it's 10 a.m.
0: I mean, I, fo- I probably like once or twice a week, like, will throw you a thread off of, <laughs> off of Reddit. I'm like, and no. It's, yeah, I know it's some... It, I mean, I'm glad to do it, but I just I what I really want to write back to those people is that just write the customer service email address. Did you actually cause, email us? Yeah, because <laughs> it, it's so much easier. Like we like the reality is we're a professional customer service department. If you email us, we email you back immediately. Yeah, and we solve your problem as fast as we possibly can. And I think that that should be the standard, and that that's what we do. And. Um, I think people will be surprised at how good the customer service is if you have a problem uh, this Christmas. And I bet there's hundreds if not thousands of customer services issues that we've taken care of in the last year since oh, yeah. last Christmas that, yeah. that you know we're taking care of in, in a single uh, you know a single tra- an email transaction and sending out uh, a, a fixed item or whatever it is that you know that, that I think people should feel very confident in our capabilities there. Go to the I, go to the store, go to the customer, <laughs> customer service section of the store. Yeah. Right. I mean, and th- cuz it
1: is hard to track down people post stuff everywhere. I've seen customer service things on YouTube videos, you know. <laughs> it you know, you just got to like it, go to where the action is happening, mm-hmm. which is the store where you bought the thing in the first place.
4: And it's like, I know some of the people, they want to go and post like on Twitter, on Reddit or something, because they know that they're going to get a reaction from Jeff or from Bernie or someone, but everyone who is working in customer service, one of the main goals and something that's special about the Rooster Teeth team is, first of all, they have a 100% dedicated community manager who is making sure that they sound like Rooster Teeth, that they're people who work here with us, that they're not just... They don't know what Ruby is. No, they know who Ruby is. They know about the character. They know what just happened in this last episode, which was super cool, but we're not gonna talk about it because I don't know when this episode comes out. <laughs> um <laughs> and they're not gonna like be your standard robotic voice. Yeah. They're gonna be relate to you, which is the whole point about having a community focused customer service team.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I I think I think people would be impressed with just the scale of how many moving parts are going on behind the scenes to from uh, from you looking at a T-shirt that you like on our website to it getting to your front door. Yeah, there's probably 50 people involved in that process. And I, I don't think the audience. I mean, I think we do. Rusty's always done a good job of making everything we look. We do look really easy and easily repeatable. Uh, but I, I, think that if people saw the scale, like if they went through the warehouse and they saw how many, like how many people are working on that just to get those items picked and pulled and how many people in the art department and in the merchandising department and in the marketing department all touch each individual product at some point, it would blow people's minds,
0: you know? Yeah. People, when they come out here and they see, first of all, when they go to the March, the, the merchandising department, they're pretty blown away. Yeah. Like, you know, cause most people who come here. They're coming here thinking we're a content company. And they go to stage five and they look at the broadcast studio and they go, this is really cool. And then we like walk them by the events team and they go, oh, those are the guys that do RTX. And then they walk by the marketing department and they see marketing people and they go, that's those marketing people. And then they go to the merch department and they're like, oh, we don't have this. Yeah. And I think that like it's really a differentiator what we do and how we do it. And, it's we're so lucky that, that I mean, I just go back and I like I think about, you know, what makes this company so special. And it just comes back to a community that cares enough about our brands. They want to buy T-shirts. If I you know, one of the first questions I ask myself if I was going to like buy another company, if we were going to like acquire a company, the first question you know, and this was like a lot of the, you know, that came through trial and error when, when, when I was at full screen was like, the first question would not be like, how many views do you have on YouTube? The first question would be like, how many shirts did you sell? Like, I think that's really like the mark of like how much people love something is like, how many shirts did you sell last year? Yeah,
2: I know that i speaking speaking uh, anecdotally from, from the Let's Play family. I know that when we talk to potential partners, that is the, the key piece that almost everyone is missing and the thing that's the most attractive for other content creators is that we've cracked that nut in a way that other content creators just haven't been able to, Yeah, you know, outside of going to Redbubble or some of the, uh, you know, Mm. some of the sites that are designed to make it easy and take all your money in the process. Well,
0: and and that's something I think is also like, I'm really proud of. I think we've like gotten the escape velocity from a, from a capability perspective beyond just like what the average, Online content creators doing today, you mm-hmm. know, you see the you know the the creators who are just using uh, Spreadshirt or Teespring, mm-hmm. and like those are t-shirt businesses, yeah. and like that are you know that you buy a t-shirt maybe if you love a creator, but like, I mean, that I think is a is a is a starting point, but ultimately I feel like like building a deeper relationship, a more lasting relationship, where like. You don't just want one t-shirt, you you know you want a closet full t shirt because this is your jam. These are your yeah. people and you know that to me is like what separates Rooster Teeth from from virtually every other certainly every digital media company. I think we're more like in the you know it's more like when I think about brands that have what we have from a a community standpoint, it's more like Star Wars or it's yeah. more like um something in the Disney Yeah family. or, or yeah. Disney family where you know, it's really about, or sports teams, you know, like, yeah. you know, you, you, some people like they have a closet full of their local sports team, uh, gear and that's all they wear. And, um, I mean, I looked at my closet and like, I probably have like 75% of my shirts are rooster t-shirts now. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I, mean, I probably own like 20, not as,
2: not as many as Gavin, but not, you're yeah. getting yeah. <laughs> I have Gavin's like the Rooster Teeth merch museum. He is, He's got yeah. one of everything we've ever made. It's amazing.
0: Well, I, I, I'm a little bit more conservative, so I actually have I've got seven of of each color simple Jeff shirt, and I just like wrote <laughs> <really>. it yeah, <laughs> and it's it's so simple. It's basically it's simple Jeff, but, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that, and it's funny when companies come here and they, or they talk to us and they say, you know, we just want to, you know, our business is going to, you know, our content company, our content business is doing okay and we're doing well, but all we need is merch and like merch is not really merchandise is not really something you just add. Yeah. You don't flip a switch. You don't flip a switch. Merch it, comes it, it's something, yeah. it's a, it's about, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, ultimately, it's about the expression of who you are as a person. And that's really what the connection point of our content, our community, and our merchandise. And so, you know, if you're just BuzzFeed or Vice, like, you may talk about Birch, but, like, you don't have the community. You don't have the connection that gives you the right for people to to want to wear your merch and i think that's something that is really important here and really differentiated about what we do and how we operate That's something i think we all take a lot of pride in. absolutely mm-hmm. what are you guys excited about for this holiday I, I mean like there is a crazy amount of cool stuff i almost forget by the way like we do these line reviews usually like six months before yeah I know the stuff that you brought up at the All Hands uh, earlier this week, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. It was six months ago we looked at those those things are cool.
5: They're
1: so not we, out yet. So
0: we planned so far in advance that like, you know, Matt, myself and a few other people, we get these line reviews where Ryan and his team and Tony they come in and they his they all uh, they put all the, the new lines up against uh, you know, on a big screen and we go through every single thing and we talk through how many uh, of each item we're buying and the designs and look at it and, and its completion mm-hmm. and it's it's really impressive every time we do this but you
1: and then i say something annoying and tony goes oh come on you get
6: your last veto <laughs> i'm going to give you <laughs> one or two per quarter now so you've <laughs> spent them and then i'm
0: safe <laughs> but it's re- it's really impressive and then i kind of forget about all the stuff that we approve in those meetings yep. and then like 6 months later it it's kind of like Christmas. it is. it's so fun. It's like a little thing like you open it whoa, that came out in the store. I remember that like yeah. and uh, so that's I'm really excited because I remember the holiday lines being just like just killer. blowing me away. killer. yeah so what? I, I, can I say i'm I'm super
1: excited about the cosplay hoodies. Yeah, yeah, those are so cool. Those are so cool. and it's the kind of thing that we've wanted to do forever. And never had the resources, never had the, had the skills, never had the you know ability to source that kind of product and put it all together in such a way. And man, I can't wait for people to, to
6: have this.
0: Tony, what are you excited about? everyone's gonna get one spoiler, I guess we'll call it. Um,
6: it's not really a spoiler. Kind of going back to what you were talking about—the jersey shirts. Uh, that's been a like a, a passion project of mine since I started. Like my first one was the tiki mugs. It was in my interview. I was like, I need. They were like, What do we not make that we need to make in my interview to get the job? I was like, Tiki mugs. <laughs> So that took two years. Um, the, old, <laughs> the, the, old, the old jersey shirts, because I Sold came in. Sold great, by the way, the Tiki yes. Mugs. Huge, yeah. huge success. Yeah, and great that's job. Partially, I told someone else, Tobin drew it, and he yeah. figured it out. Uh, um, but the jersey shirts, we're kind of uh, reimagining, reprinting some of those jersey shirts again. And uh, Bow Chicka Bow Wow was going to make. I never owned the first one, and it was kind of been a thing that I've always wanted to own. So now that I'm in a position to make the thing, I just, well, let's make a 1,000 of it so I can buy one. So that's, that's going to come out. I could have just brought you one from my closet
0: (laughs) (laughs) ryan what are you excited about
5: i think uh if i can get two yeah we did the mondo single um back i don't remember now six months ago we've got an update to that coming at the end of the month um Mm. and then the i think the screen printed posters the color variant that we did that tobin designed um, for the jeff collection are awesome so my two favorites
2: yeah, I mean, I, selfishly, I think the the Jeff stuff that's coming out in the holidays is the best Jeff stuff yet. But I would, uh, I would, I would say the it's out right now and it's been out for two days. But the Monopoly board coming that's out I, I'm really, really excited sweet, about. Yeah. I designed that, or I should say, Gavin and I designed that four years ago. Now. And by the time we were ready to make it, all the jokes were old and no longer relevant. So we had to make it from scratch a second time. So it was just a tremendous amount of work over four years to finally be able to sell that thing. And so it's cool that like something you made in 2014 and was ready to go to press finally comes out in yeah, 2018. Yeah, so this stuff takes a yeah. long time, It huh? takes a long-ass time. Yeah. And so that one, it's like it's so good to have that off my calendar now. That's very cool. Yeah. Chelsea, what
0: are you excited about?
4: Uh, the really... Oversized fluffy why slippers. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, those are those never going to th- be too old for those.
6: <laughs> yeah, those are pretty sweet. I want to go back and add one that's already out and it's the moon ball. Like, yeah. that was, oh, yeah. like oh, I yeah. was looking at yeah. the first email I sent to someone at Waboba in another country and like I wasn't high enough on the chain to warrant a response. So I was like, <laughs> we need to make this moon ball. So I went and came over to the bungalow and sent the, the emails out through other more important people that finally culminated in. Moonball yeah, moonball moon is
2: fun. It's one yeah. of those ones is a great idea too. It's been on for sale for twenty four hours. We've already sold about a thousand of them. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say I was looking at it this morning, we had sold about two hundred of them, and it was less revenue than three Ruby statues. <laughs> 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 I was like uh, Damn it.
1: Resin
0: moonball. Five hundred dollar moonball coming <laughs> at you. <laughs> well, I'm excited about the, the crew neck sweatshirts. Mm. I love the the, the, the grey heather crew neck sweatshirts. I've got I love my Achievement Hunter one I got last year. And I know we have some great ones coming up. So this is going to be an awesome Christmas. I mean, I'm so glad I have the Rooster Teeth discount. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps it up. Thank you guys all for for your time today. And thank you guys all for listening. We We really appreciate you tuning in for this show. We know it can be a little heady. Um, but hopefully the, f- the stories are fun and you guys learn something about Rooster Teeth uh, as you listen and in, in tune into this show. And it wouldn't be a merch podcast without one final plug. So go check out store.roosterteeth.com <laughs> and uh, check out all the cool stuff that we're doing and uh, give us feedback. You know, we love the feedback on the on yeah, merchandise for, as well. I always accounts. actually... In the store, I like to I like it when people leave feedback on the actual products. I wish we I wish we were more like Amazon. There was like tons of feedback on like, you know, on the individual products and, and we could use that to inform future stuff that we do.
5: hmm That would be cool actually. Yeah.
0: All right, well thank you guys so much.
5: Thank you.